big thumbs down on your new icon here. Oh. Oh. Multiple reasons. Well, should I explain? Number one, it's not the 90s. Yeah, well, you know, my icon is going to make the... Number two, it is improperly cropped. Like, it's trying to put it in a circle, but you've you've made it off-center, so you can see, like, this little sliver of white on the bottom. Is that what I did? Is that what I did? I made it off-center? Yeah. That's me that did that? Yes, that's you. Okay, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you tried to change your icon from, from your little Zelda boy? In Skype? Yeah. No, I do the same thing when I try to change my icons for iCloud. I often make them off-center, and I see when they're put into a little circle. Oh, I can see a little sliver. You know what I do? I do it over. A-S-S-U-M-E. Mm. You get one shot. If you grab an image <laughs> off your desktop and you drop it, you get one shot. Come on. Come on. Do it. You get one shot. You don't know the rest of it? Oh. Uh, just like my country, yo, um, young, scrappy, and hungry. No. I was going for 8 Mile, you were going for Hamilton. It's fine. Continue. Oh, right. Mom's spaghetti. Anyway, you don't get one shot, you can do it again. Yeah, yeah, but the one you edit is degraded quality, so you guys on that call would not have seen Kitty Pride. You weren't on that call. You wouldn't have seen my full uh, my full spectrum Kitty Pride. No, you, do, you do the same picture again, but differently cropped. Oh, so you're saying I should go and like open Acorn, crop it the way I want, and then drop <laughs> yes, it on Skype? Yes. You're, miss, you're missing the exercise. The exercise is... For the last three podcasts that I have done, which have all been great, I dropped last four. I, I'm, on a, I'm on a streak, so this one's going to suck. Um, I, I, I drag something that seems relevant from my desktop onto my icon. I don't know why, but I, I've done it. I'm like that. Uh, I'm like somebody in baseball who doesn't wash their beard or whatever. Something that seems relevant. Yeah, yeah. So we this, did the. This, uh, you downloaded this from like the Roderick episode where you're talking about the soy bomb thing. Yeah, that's that's left over from recording with Roderick today. It was an epic, epic episode. Today? I thought the Soy Bomb guy came up like two episodes ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I needed to get something quick that was on the desktop, so I just dropped all that right, in. Right, I dropped right. in Kitty Pride for, for the uh, for the X-Men episode. And then I dropped in, uh, what did I have for, oh, it's Stinky Pete for uh, Toy Story 2. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the new X-Men? <laughs> Turn me around, Bullseye, so I can see. That wasn't in it. <laughs> um, I haven't, and now I'm dispirited. You haven't seen it? Mm-mm. And now you, you read bad reviews and you're sad about it? I don't feel sad about it. I miss the feeling of going into like a civil war, right? Where you're like, well, lots of people like this. That's a good thing. Mm. Now you're like, some people don't like this. Mm-mm. No, I'm. T- you're like that. Oh, I already saw it. Going back, we watched we watched X Men Prime last night, mm-hmm. um, which oddly enough is one of the ones we've seen the least. The one we've seen the, the least, the least of the ones my daughter can see is Last Stand. Uh, the one we watched the most is either X X Two is our family favorite, mm-hmm. and do you watch these movies? I've seen them all. Yeah, okay. I was just reading that the same AV, AV Club article you posted. I had read it already by the time you posted it. Did I post uh, that? Oh, that's yeah, a good article. Oh, yeah, 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 because it related to what we were talking about on The Incomparable, uh, about uh, Wolverine, his, uh, I love that, I love that scene. And so, my two favorites are also, I like, I think X2, and they said X-Men First Class. I don't know if that's the best, it's, as a yeah, standalone. Yeah, I, I was surprised that was their number one. I've only seen that once, and I thought it was fine, but I'm like, better than X2? Come on. Well, even if you set aside all of the, like, 
I mean, if you go into this as somebody who enjoys the comics, if you want to maintain your sanity and not be a horrible person, you have to set aside your baggage a little bit. So you have to accept more than you will want me to get into here about what you have to set aside. Can, can I go into a couple things? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I mean, part of what makes... I discussed this for like an hour and a half this week, but part of what makes the X-Men great is that it is a comic of its time, and the composition of the original team is kind of important in lots of ways as the story unfolds, in, in several ways. One of the most important ways, if you care about the soap opera part, is that Scott and Jean, being Cyclops and Phoenix, uh, join the team at, not, not the same time, but roughly the same time. They're, she's a little younger than him. But like, if you watch the X-Men movies, I think Scott... Uh, Cyclops seems eight to 15 years younger than Jean, although they're portrayed as peers. She seems like somebody at the, who's classily moving into middle age. And he seems like somebody who's just coming out of being a douchey 27 year old. You're talking about uh movie number ones, Jean Grey. Yeah, but all of, I mean, they're the same difference apart in all of them. Are they in, in the, in the most recent one? Oh, in the most recent one, is that with, uh, with, that's with the Game of Thrones girl? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's, I think that's a different, technically a different universe. I'm not sure. I mean, in the Marvel terms. And anyway, but then you get stuff like, you know, Iceman is shown briefly in X-Men. He's a, he's a main, main-ish character in X-Men 2, but he's like 15, 16, when he should be in the comics the same age. So, you know, all I'm saying is, like, there's all kinds of stuff. I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but there's a lot of stuff where, like, if the comics mean a lot to you, and I'm not that guy. I like the Watchmen movie movie right you know come fight me like i like that movie i understand that things change when you make a movie it's just that there are certain elements that are a little bit hard to put behind um so all i was going to say was like the the reviews that i've seen so far i've been trying to avoid lots of reviews but the main mojo behind the review seems to be that it's a return to form in not a good way where it's very serious and big and i was bummed because i was I don't mind the serious and big, but I like, I, you know, the, the, the serious can get to be too much for me. It's one reason, like like a lot of people, I think it's the reason Guardians of the Galaxy is fun. It's a reason Daredevil, uh, not Daredevil, um, Deadpool is fun. It's a reason that uh, Captain uh, America Civil War was fun. It was like it wasn't about the destruction of the world by an evil genius. And I, I increasingly really like those movies. But, you know, with Apocalypse, it's right there. It's on the name, you know. Yeah, well, I, I, since I know nothing about the comics, I can sort of take these things at face value, not knowing what what more sophisticated story they're messing up. And I thought the X Men Apocalypse story was reasonable. I thought that even though it did take itself seriously, it was so silly it's hard for the audience to take seriously. And it, it kind of walked that line of, well, this is it's not the Pacific Rim line, but kind of similar where Pacific Rim takes itself seriously, but also we all know that it's silly, right? Oh, I think itself... it takes itself seriously like a 13-year-old boy would take himself seriously. Yeah, a little bit, but like it, it, in universe. But I mean, like the, the, the three Chinese guys playing basketball, I mean, they're having fun. But I'm saying like there's not a lot of wisecracking in, in the movie, not a lot of self-aware wisecracking in the style of a Civil War or even, you know, an Avengers or something like that where, I don't know. Anyway, and in the X-Men, the basic story um, seemed sturdy enough the writing wasn't great the 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 movie as i said in, in slack earlier the, the movie set pieces outran its budget many many times and it was first time i'd seen some really painful green screen like where 
you can tell because they didn't match the lighting well that it's a bunch you can you can basically see the like the special features where they're running around in a giant green gymnasium right right but you're not supposed to like you can tell oh they're running around a gymnasium and someone laid those backgrounds behind them you know so there's, there's problems like that but um i think i like the first class cast like who they cast in all the different roles i i mean they were fine in first class but now that i see them again i'm like you know what i like these guys right um and i liked a second swing at the uh dark phoenix story which i know nothing about but i know they teased it at the end of x2 and never paid it off because then there was the last stand and it was last stand last stand like you saw in that article i mean it's first of all it's a it's a you know it's kind of a i'm told by my by many of my friends it's a a regressive story and I, i get that but the way they chose to tell it with the budget they had was, you know. That, that movie's just a mess. It's a waste of time. Well, you know you can tell that movie's a mess in the first 10 minutes because, you, you know, oh gosh, there's so many cliches to watch out for. You know, be, beware of the movie that begins with a voiceover. Beware of the movie. And this, there's differences. Well, they, but don't, don't they all begin with a voiceover? Well, no, there's that. Okay, no, no. I, I don't they mean... They say mutants. The, uh, that's, right? that's cool. I'm talking about, like... Where, you know, with the exception of, say, a movie like Blade Runner, if there's a giant, like, scroll at the beginning to explain what's going to happen in the movie, like, that's useful in Star Wars, but essential in Blade Runner. And I think they do a good job of that in Blade Runner, with that, with the scroll to say, like, here's the stuff you need to know that we don't want to waste 45 minutes explaining to you with narrative. So, beware of voiceovers, beware of scrolls, uh, beware of, uh, as they talk about a lot in the Flophouse, beware of scrolls and prophecy, I'm not a fan of Scrolls and Prophecy, and I'm going to return to that in a minute. But uh, in that one, do you remember, you might not remember this, but Last Stand begins with three different flashbacks from different times. So there's a flashback to when they go, and uh, uh, Gandalf and uh, and Mr. Picard go to uh, meet little Jean Grey, and they've made them look super creepy with CGI. Then you got a flashback to uh, to poor Angel trying to do his uh, wing thing, and there's another one. But you're like you're already you're, you're like five, eight, ten minutes in the movie, and you're already like, ugh, like this is how this starts. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that's the problem. A lot of these multi character movies have uh, to try to. I mean, they don't they didn't have individual movies to establish these characters, so they got to let you know there's this person, there's this person, there's this person, and they all have backstories that we don't have time to tell you. That probably could be their own movies, but they're not going to be. We're going to jam them into this one. And then we're all going to run around and do silly things. Right. Um, at the risk of covering something uh, we talked about on that other podcast, uh, I mean, this, this is just kind of a thing for me, is that, you know, t- t- yeah, there's so many things I'm looking for in a superhero story or, a, you know, a comic story, but really a superhero story. Lots of things I'm looking for. Uh, a couple of things I'm looking for is that I, I like that. I like it when the characters have a conflicted relationship with their quote-unquote powers. I, always, I think that is very interesting i like it when the i'm not gonna say the villain i like it when the antagonist is sympathetic and not only has their reasons why they're how they are but their reasons that you can understand really drive the plot through characterization right and that's why you know so much of the stuff with magneto i think is really interesting because like he he has his reasons Whereas it sounds like with like the Superman Batman movie, it sounds like it's MacGuffins all the way down. You know, that, that kind of thing drives me crazy. That kind of like, you know, but at the same time in the Captain America movie, I kind of, I kind of liked the lack of an antagonist. And when we thought we understood who the antagonist was, we didn't really know. And I thought they, they fooled me. They fooled me, Jerry. Yeah. I think the X-Men 
premise is is really strong. That's why we've been able to support this whatever it is nine movies that have banged around in here. And like it was the first one, right? The first one that opens with the uh, the Auschwitz scene with Magneto. Yeah, we fessed over that. That is that's a strong beginning for an entire franchise. Like you can build the whole franchise on that one scene, that one idea. It was simple, right to the point, powerful, establishes character that's going to be important in the next movies. Like that's that's sturd- that's a sturdy beginning for, and you could spin off that in a million different directions. It walks right up to, in my opinion, and I, I I would defer to anybody who has a more personal reason for having a feeling about that scene, but I feel like it walks right up to the point of exploitative. But at the point when Eric's powers are incorporated, I'm trying to avoid a spoiler here, but there's there's a scene, there's a part in that scene, there's a shot in that scene, a series of shots, where Eric's powers manifest in a way that involves an iconic part of Auschwitz that I think is actually really effective. Yeah, I mean, it's on the nose. I mean, it's, it's like a, com- it's a movie, comic book movie, I'm not going to say it's for kids, but like, they have to, you know, it's not, it's not super subtle or anything, right? But... It's it's taken seriously and it propels the story because the, the the whole Magneto is like Magneto Xavier the whole center of the the first two movies. It moves the plot forward in a way that people fifteen sixteen years ago were comfortable with accepting. You know what, what analogy are you drawing here with these mutants? We're gonna draw this analogy. Everyone hates the Nazis, right? Thumbs up, right? Everyone's like, okay, I'm on board. And then you can parlay that if you do a good job into more themes what else are the mutants kind of like well they're kind of like this well they're kind of like that you know like they're, they're kind of like black people they're kind of like gay people there's lots right, of ways that, right. that we can we can empathize or sympathize with what they're going through you know based on the same empathy we, we could have for anybody who's different from everyone else kind of hates it for a long time and then finds a way to try and make something good out of it yeah and then with the superhero angle on top of that it was like okay well those are all real world things that are real but these people have amazing superpowers and there's actually an other angle on top of that which is like all that stuff aside if these guys get angry they could destroy the world which is different than than many other you know oppressed groups and so how does it's a superhero movie so how does that factor in it's like it's like a, a you know a leveling up thing and each individual characters and their stories are good and how they interact with each other is good and you just there's so many different directions you can go with it and anyway in, in apocalypse the story makes sense from a universe perspective. The villain is a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. The motivations are all a little bit silly. You're right; it does take itself ser- too seriously. But I, I like the cast. I like the young, the young X persons, and I hope they appear in a better movie soon. <laughs> like, you know, but like, I would never. I will say, I would never have gone to see, gone to see this movie in the theater ever, except that I had to. It was like a must take kid to the movie day, uh, and. The only thing I could think of that was playing was actually I wanted to see Jungle Book. My wife said she wanted to see that Ugh. with the whole family. I got really good reviews. I got thought I got thoughts on that. Anyway, we saw this instead of, instead of Jungle Book, but I I would not have. You took your son. Yeah, I would not have. I would have waited for this in video because like I think the reviews that you have read that are lukewarm are accurate. But I went in expecting it to be just terrible, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was not terrible. It was all right. Can I ask uh, how your son liked it? It's hard to tell with him. Uh, he's pretty quiet about these things. I. Th- think he mostly liked it he's i uh, showed him x-men uh, at x2 and he think he's seen a little bit of days of future past at his friend's house but not enough to know what's, know what's going on and that movie's kind of a time travel wackadoodle thing anyway um he hasn't seen first class which is kind of essential to seeing apocalypse so i'm going to show him first class i think he likes them um he saw the trailer for suicide squad in front of it he's like i want to see that <laughs> i think so <laughs> i think i sent you the picture of my daughter 
putting on makeup that approximated Harley Quinn. It's yeah. a challenging times. That, that's a rated R one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Besides, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I have Deadpool, and he has not asked to see that. Um, oh, good. Uh, that's not for him. Have you? So have no, you? I have seen it. I know it's not for him. Okay, I know. okay. I'm just, like, I understand, but I'm assuming Suicide Squad is awesome. But you know, um, hmm. is this okay to talk about? Yeah. Okay. Um, but when you think about um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and you know, I think I think you could very very fairly say that. I mean. You know, if you're somebody, if you're somebody who thinks a lot about stories and you think a lot about structure and writing and screenplays, you know, I could see somebody saying that, like, okay, do we really need what's his name, the crystal guy, um, the all powerful guy? I'm, I can't believe I'm asking you for help with this. I mean, do we do we really Dr. need Doctor Manhattan? No, <laughs> Blue Penis Man. The, is that him? The all powerful guy, the crystal guy? Yeah, what's his, I, I'm spacing on from X Men? No, in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, uh, uh, you know who I mean? Yeah, Theon Greyjoy. No, uh, I'll get in a second. Uh, starts with a T. He wants the yeah. Infinity Stones. Yeah, he, he looks but do really we need stupid. do we need the big do we need the big bad and Lee Pace's character? Because Lee Pace's character, and I love Lee Pace, but like his character is so um, he's he's very. I mean, like it, it's it's he's almost in a different movie. In the same way that the that Amy Pond is kind of in a different movie, like they're so serious in the midst of this, but I think that kind of works to the movie's favor. It, I'm not sure it adds that much for stakes, but uh, it, it's an it's such. By the time you get to the end, the contrast between Star Lord and Lee Pace's character is really really fun, and I think it really works by the end of that movie. Do you know what I mean? So the idea of the contrast between like wackadoodle, like silly. Um, silly characters in a superhero movie versus a pretentious superhero like i think there's room to have fun with that it's just you know the when these movies get too serious um without putting the seriousness on the screen in a way that brings your heart and your mind along then you really start to feel like you're just watching a bunch of capes hitting each other i I think what x-men has going for it is kind of a uh high school slash college dorm room young person ensemble show vibe sort of collegial kind of thing that you can play off of and it can just become a sort of a light uh i don't know i can't think of any uh, analogous movies but like uh the like the 80s movies with a bunch of teenage friends who go right. and do something together and they just happen to have powers and are working through their issues and their issues are mostly the same as other teenage kids but uh you know also you know don't necessarily have to involve the end of the world but involve dealing with their powers and there's a lot of that mixed into all the x-men movies especially with the younger cast they mix it in but then they're kind of stuck in this movie in a save the world from this existential threat i I, I thought the the existential threat made some sense and was silly but really was mostly the x-men finding each other and and you know deciding what's what and coming to terms with their powers and like i i really like the gene gray story i just feel like this is the second time they they've tried it and it's still kind of a sideshow it's like why don't you just make a whole movie about that i know they tried to and it didn't work out but right well they i i i like famke jansen a lot but i don't but hmm, somewhere in the writing somewhere in the editing the performance all, all of it i liked her i just want to clarify i think she's really really good I think that there's there's a lot about her her relationship with Wolverine. I think is very well done in the first movie. Like that creates a lot of great tension. But you know, in the same way, my same feelings as the the wonderful actress who plays Kitty Pride, which is Ellen Page in most of them. 
it's just that you know, for somebody, you know how it is. Like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like for you in the like uh, the Tolkien movies. But like, you have such a clear idea in your mind about like all the ways this character could be done wrong, and all the ways that you like pray that it's done right. Like classic fan casting, you know, kind of stuff. And it's just that like when you get down to those characters that are that are everybody's not everybody's, but a lot of people's favorite character, like you get picky about it, right? So like. Kitty Pride has such a special place for so many kids because she was the kid on the team. You know, she was the awkward, like barely teenaged Jewish kid from Chicago who was a total nerd. And she brought a lot of life to the team and a lot of a lot of fun. And so, like, when you don't see what you're really hoping for on the screen or in the case of Days of Future Past, where they mangle what had been a pretty good story into something where, like, the different character traits are kind of getting moved around, it gets a little bit frustrating. So let me ask you this, and, and maybe we can have a whole episode sometime, once we run out of ideas, where I can ask you questions uh, about uh, Lord of the Rings, and you can ask me X-Men questions. Wouldn't you love that? A whole episode of that. But I don't want to know about the comic book X-Men, because my, okay. the only way I'm able to enjoy the movies at all is knowing nothing about the comic books, because then I have nothing to compare them to. So I don't know how badly they're mangling the, the stories or the characters, and I just uh, accept what's up on the screen. Because really, like <laughs> the writing is not... They need some help with the, with the writing. And all the X-Men's really. I watch the other ones. I'm like, there are some great images and great scenes and great character moments. But uh, I think the writing has gone downhill pretty linearly in the series. Maybe for... Yeah. I have to watch First Class again. I've only seen it once. I have to watch it again to, to get a handle on it. But one, one thing I can say is that uh, first... If, remember Quicksilver, the fast guy? Uh, his scene in, in First Class? Yeah, sure. Um, Wait, in First Class or in Days of Future Past? Uh, when he like, runs maybe. around and changes everything really fast? Yeah, maybe it was. It was like in the Pentagon. Was that uh, Future Days of Future Past or First Class? I forget. There's the one where like he's virtually freezing time, and then like he goes and changes things, and then like in a split second, all this stuff happens differently. I think that was was that. I think it's Days of Future Past. Anyway, that that scene and that that sort of way of showing a speedy character makes perfect sense to me. It was pretty well executed, and when I heard they were making a Flash TV series, I expected it to be like that, but it's not, and I find that disappointing. And it. You know, like there's so many good things that could be harvested from the X Men movies in terms of like how to visually treat characters, um, and you know, like I said, scenes and character moments, if not plot points of some silly plot or particular lines of dialogue. That I think there's look, looking back at all these X Men movies, I can say most of them were not great movies, but there are great parts of all of them that I would feel like can be harvested into something. And I don't really mind that they keep making these movies one after another, each of which has something to recommend it and something that's really terrible about it. Because I feel like X-Men and the universe are big enough to support this. They can just, you know, fine, bring in new characters, bring in old ones, do a time travel retcon and start over again, whatever you want to do. Right. Um, I give them that flexibility. And it's definitely like, you know, the, the reassuring sort of sameness of the the Marvel, Marvel Cinematic Universe and how they're sort of building that into a nice little structure one movie at a time. That's one way. And I feel like this is the more kind of like experimental side of the house. Obviously, it's a different house. Um, right. That, oh, yeah. That is, with, that with, is uh, messier, yeah. but has lots of weird, interesting things in it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean... So when when I talk about how much I loved I love Deadpool, I mean I think about like Gruber saying like you know it was too he didn't this is not his words but you know he found it too sophomoric I think I think a lot of people saw Deadpool and was like it's too much like like silly poo poo humor kind of stuff which which I get 
but it's the smallness that, 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 that you love. And it makes me think of something a little bit like, like I still, I believe it or not, I never finished watching Jessica Jones. But the thing I did love about the Jessica Jones, like four or five episodes I saw was that there was no rush to reveal like what her deal was. We got to know her first as a person. We got to know her as a character, as a, like a broken person. And getting to know a broken person is so fun. But like we would get glimpses that she was like pretty strong. We got, but you know, but she wasn't like impossibly strong. Like she wasn't going to lift a building. She could jump up onto a balcony. That's cool. That was a fun reveal. That's, there's a part of me that like wants the same kind of characterization and reveals as you would have in any good movie where I'm trying to think of some good examples. I think about like, um, this is really random, but thinking about like, you know, the way you reveal Matt Damon's abilities in Goodwill Hunting. Right. If they had just, if they had just done like one montage, like one scene, one particular scene where like it involved him, like, like symphonic music plays while he does a test really fast, that would not have been fun. It's more fun to see like how he deals with the guy in the bar. It's fun to see like what he does with the chalkboard and how that stuff comes out kind of slowly. That's what I crave in these movies is where we don't start with needing to tick the box on what this person is capable of. We start more with who the person is and what their deal is. Like what is Cyclops' deal? You could see so many X-Men movies and not really know what Cyclops' deal is and like why he's, he's kind of a dick. You know, I think that's, that's the movie I crave and I feel like it's not the movie we're gonna get. We're gonna get more, uh, and I, I enjoy superhero movies, but I don't need, personally, I don't need that many more Age of Ultrons where like so much has to be jammed into this mega movie. Um, I get why they do it, but like I really enjoy the moments where again, like, like the scene, in Alberta with um, Rogue and Wolverine in the, in, in the car. Like, that, that's a great scene. Or even the crappy CGI of all the guys ganging up on Logan in the bar, where anybody who has no idea what the X-Men is, I don't know if you remember this, but, but there's the scene where he gets attacked by all the guys who are like, you know, give me my money. And you s- learn so much about Wolverine's character in that scene. Char- character capital C, I guess. Because you see how, like, he has claws that fly out of his hands at 130 miles an hour and could kill somebody. But you also see, even with that crappy year 2000 CGI, as he's walking out of the dark toward the camera, you see his wound healing. And you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, he can go through a windshield, and he's fine. He can do all of these things. And you also see him, like, warring with himself. You see him doing that, that his bit, like, like the cracking of his neck thing, which is like, ugh, this again. Because he's got to go be in pain and heal again. And I don't know. I just feel like there's a few scenes where you get Wolverine without having to go into a huge amount of uh, unnecessary origin stuff and and backstory. And that's what I crave. I I crave, like, getting to know these people as characters and having all of their abilities just be something that makes the story and their character more interesting. Yeah, that's a high bar. And I think Apocalypse has not reached that bar. But I think there are moments... An apocalypse that you will enjoy when you eventually watch it in a video. I would not recommend seeing it in a theater. And and like I said, not knowing Jean Grey from the comics, this Jean Grey makes more sense with the eventual Dark Phoenix uh, character than the other one did. But once again, it it's kind of not the main plot of this movie. Like they, it so, seems so weird to me that they keep putting that at, that in movies, but it's never the movie. Like, why isn't there a movie called Dark X Men Dark Phoenix? You can do right. like not. There's another story going <laughs> I can on. Think, I think I think of a pretty good reason why, because it's going to be a main, mainly about a girl. No, I'm. It, that's another thing about uh, the new XM movies. They do a little bit better uh, with uh, the equity and screen time and plot points. Not great, but better. Right. So baby steps. 
This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Ministry of Supply. You can learn more about them right now by visiting ministryofsupply.com slash diffs. Real talk, guys. Look, there's no way to get around this. As humans, we sweat, we perspire, we sheen, we exude. And very rarely does sweating take place at convenient times. Up high, am I right? Gym clothes can handle this. They are made for this. These are technical materials, but the clothes that you need to wear to work all day, every day, they do nothing to help. They're stiff. They are restricting. They are monkey suits. They make everything worse. This is where Ministry of Supply comes in. They combine performance technology with tailored design to make men's workwear that's actually comfortable and capable. This results in dress shirts and slacks that wick sweat. They breathe and they stretch as you move. For example, they have the Apollo dress shirt that has fibers that were literally invented by NASA that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings. And as an added bonus, it's also machine washable. No more trips to the dry cleaners. Are you done with that? Huh? Huh? I know I am. Listen, I have to be honest with you. This podcast has friends inside the ministry. It's not Mr. Weasley, but we do have friends. So they sent us some of their stuff for free. And I got to tell you, buddy, I am loving it. In fact, as we speak right now, you can look down here. I am wearing one of their sweaters right now. Specifically, it is the Mercury SKV V-neck. And I love this thing. It is amazing. It's light, it is cozy, and yet it breathes. It's like a space sweater, but it looks pretty cool. I feel like I'm living in the future, like I'm living in 2001, a space odyssey. Feels good, feels good. You gotta give these folks a try. Right now, I want you to go to ministryofsupply.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and you're gonna get 15% off your first Ministry of Supply purchase by using the special offer code diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S. Are you ready for this? Let's say for the sake of argument, maybe you don't have a computer, maybe you don't have the internet. Not a problem. You can go and visit one of their stores. They have stores in Boston, the city of San Francisco, and coming soon, Washington, D.C. And now you get this. You go into that store, you just mention this show, Reconcilable Differences. You might want to mention the offer code diffs. You know what you're going to do? You're going to get 15% off anything in the store. Talk about living in the future, buddy. You got to check it out, ministryofsupply.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Ministry of Supply for giving me this future space sweater and for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Thanos, by the way. Thanos, thank you. There was a there was a great moment. This is I'm glenning a little bit, but um, oh god, I feel bad because now I have to tell you something. I went to see uh, Amy Mann and Ted Leo the other night. Uh, I know, I know you did. They were really good. You know what? She's always been like fairly nice to me, but I think she's warming up to me a little bit. She was actually mm-hmm. kind of like nice to me. Mm-hmm. I think she's very introverted. But but we're hanging out after, so no big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but it's Roderick, me, Amy Mann, Ted Leo, Rhea Butcher, and uh, oh, and the bass player from Throwing Muses, who I got to meet and fawn over. Oh my god. I'm glad uh, I don't know who that is, so I can uh, well put a throwing cap muses, on my jealousy. No, throwing muses in belly were like these two Tanya Donnelly bands based in Rhode Island in the early 90s that were um, astonishing. I've heard you mention them a million times. I just yeah. don't know they're there. Yeah. But I was like, but at first I think he just thought I was like another half-drunk pseudo fan. Like, You're the guy for throwing music? And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I am. And I was like, did you play on Not Too Soon? And he goes, oh, uh, yeah. And I was like, and I started singing it. It was great. But there was a, there was a wonderful moment where Ron, uh, where uh, uh, Roderick came down dressed in this very peculiar way. He was really, he was wearing like loungewear and I said he looked like L. Ron Hubbard. And then, he, then John corrects me, we should probably cut this out. Roderick corrects me and says, no, L. Ron is actually a character from a Tolkien book yeah. just as Ted Leo is walking by. And so he flags down Ted and says, Ted, 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 uh, tell me about L. Ron. 
<laughs> and he, without effort, he goes, and gives like a paragraph and a half on whoever Elrond is. And I just sat there like in stunned silence. Whoever Elrond, next time you go on one of those Joko Cruises, you have like mandatory attendance for his reading of the Silmarillion or whatever it is that he does. I think he's a half elf. Is that right? Can you have a half hobbit? Is that even possible? It's been covered in another podcast. Hmm. Cimmerillion. We're back. How's it going? Still trying to get over your uh, your Glenning story. Need a little recovery time. Yeah, she sat right next to me on the couch. She's um she's amazing, and she's 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 charming. She's talented. She tolerates you somehow. Wow! 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 Well, finally, you two have something in common. Mm-hmm. She uh, and uh, and they got up there, and I was actually asking my, my very good friend Ted Leo about this. See, you, you're all. <laughs> I don't, uh, in, I don't you're know. All, <laughs> Ted Leo is not not. You're just. That's the thing. That's the I only thing. know. I, I, he's the guy who tours with Amy Mann and sings songs. Oh there. my god, Ted Leo. Oh. Mm. oh, he knows a lot about Lord of the Rings. Already, I respect him. He's my white buffalo. Love that guy. White whale, white whale. No, it's not. Hot tub time machine one, white buffalo. Oh, I thought you were doing the uh, the Moby Dick, the uh, I Mike a white whale thing. Oh, overrated book. So uh, anyway, Amy Man, and uh, so tonight we're back for episode. Wow, is it really episode twenty eight? Is that is that possible? Yeah, you didn't even update the update the notes today. I had to do it. I know. I, I was running late. I had to do things. Yep. My wife's going to be out of town for a couple of days, so I got yeah, mine like, too. I'm I, a whole week. I'm you're kidding, thing. Roderick. Ditto. Roderick's got like a week with his kid. We should have some kind of like a uh, Skype dads club. He's, well, I was going to say he just has one kid, but so do you. Yeah, they outnumber me. I'm outnumbered now. <laughs> and they, they and they go to school in different places. Pickup is a nightmare. Ugh. You got any more training this week? Not covering that. <laughs> Are you returning? No. Skipping over that. Pass. Did you watch the uh, English version of The Office? You must have at some point. No, believe it or not, I have not. I've no, seen the you're American kidding. Version. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, wow, I'm going to put that on your list. You should watch that. It's really I've heard, quite I've good. Heard, yeah. All right, all right, all right. That's, it's only like you know, 15 years old. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um. So for tonight, I had one crazy topic you probably don't want to do because it's super weird. The, the the obvious ones. I wanted to hear how you think about the future, which is probably weird. Uh, we got repping stuff. We got free will. And we are early enough that we could talk about free will. You'll probably lose me after about 15 minutes. But if you want to talk about free will, this no, could be your night. Free will is the new drugs topic. Defer. <laughs> Zaro, Zaro free will. <laughs> no. Repping stuff and thinking of the future are both big enough. And either one of them could probably expand to the whole thing. So you just pick which one you want. <sighs> Midlife crisis. Anime sports. Kids no, that we, you, you, you're, see, we were up at the top there. Don't keep scrolling. We're up at the top. I know where I am. I know where right. I am. Here, look at this. That's me. See? You see me? Do you see me nervously triple-clicking on things? Yep. Can you see why I nervously triple-click? Yep. Mm. Yep. See not, not precisely nervous. Um, well, it's just uh, like a, uh, not a... Not a tick. Um, it's like uh, twiddling pen caps or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, vaping, but... It's an idle animation in uh, video game parlance. Vaping with my finger. It's a finger vape. You know how I feel about that. Ethernet cigarettes. <laughs> Copyright Scott Simpson. <laughs> did he make that one up or did he steal it from you? I don't remember. I think I, I just I just I'm the one who said I, I think I'm the one who said that he looks like a wizard when he smokes his Ethernet cigarette. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Well maybe it was you. Maybe it was you. I don't know. Uh you pick. 
you pick what do you uh what do you what, see these are all like all about you which is good what are no, you most comfortable ripping stuff is not about me no ripping stuff's about you no no i'm the one who not. typed what that mean see see where it says what that mean i just like, i know but i don't understand why this is well it's it's not about me it's about mm. you and other podcasts you do where you talk about rapping stuff mm. and other people talk about rapping stuff all right but anyway, we can talk about the future if you want. So pick one of those two. Well, I like it when you... I don't know. I'm so out of energy. So tired. I feel, feel a little bit like I might be getting sick. I, I, I uh, had to put a cool cloth on my head. Close contact with Amy Man drains your mana. Mm. She's, um, she's, very, she's very tall and slender. Mm-hmm. And well, then when I mean, she gets up to play tall, a song... Taller than you. Well, and, and you just feel like she could get up there and play like anything she wanted to. And you know what? One of the best parts you 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 like music. You listen to music. You play music. Like as great as Ted is as a singer, and as great as Amy is, some of my favorite moments are when they sing in unison. It can be oddly moving when people sing in unison. It's beautiful. You like that from from your childhood? Right? Oh, from the from the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I love the harmony, and boy, do they harmonize. I'll set you up with some uh, some Ted Leo. You've got to know some Ted Leo. You're I from don't know. Uh, Massachusetts. Name, name the most famous song. Well, I mean, this is not where to start. It's not even my favorite. I know, favorite. I'm just saying, like, I, you think, I gotta know some Ted Leo, so I probably know Ted whatever... Ted Leo and the Pharmacists it, are probably best known for a song called Where Have All the Rude Boys Gone? Mm. Um, you might also know his amazing cover of Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone. He was one of the first maybe, people to cover that. Maybe. He does a uh, cover of That and Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs that's pretty great. I will, after this... Are you on Apple Music? No. Okay, I will buy you. I mean, I will buy you a copy of my favorite uh, pharmacist's album tonight and send it to you. Don't buy me music. I'll get it myself if I'm interested. No, you won't. No, you won't. Well, mm. I I realized there was a bunch of Amy Mann albums I didn't own, and I went and bought them the other day. Yeah, do you know the names of them? The correct names? No. <laughs> I'm the worst. Like iTunes has destroyed the album for me. That I realized, like, let me name some of my favorite Amy Mann songs. I can mostly name them, but I thought like three of them were all in the same album, and they were all three different albums. That's how far off. She I, had a little I, bit of like overlap in the early 2000s, didn't she? Between like uh, Magnolia and uh, was it Bachelor Number Two? Yeah. Yeah. Number two. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Come on. All it took was John Roderick texting me the, 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 the words Amy Mann, and I texted him back. For two hours, I just walked around Portland going, ah, am I different? I don't do it as good as her, but like, boy, <laughs> one of those songs will get in your head. You want to meet her sometime? Sure. Okay. And actually, no, I don't. We already covered this. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about repping stuff. All right. You can tell me what that means. Do you want to talk about the future? No. I had a very interesting talk with our friend uh, John, John Gruber about uh, all things voice, AI, and machine learning. So I've got this kind of on my brain right now. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to that episode That's yet. Okay. That's okay. It's a good one. It's a good you. one. Came out like a day ago. Give me a break. I'll get yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, probably, you know. Probably on the plane to WWC, I'll get to it. Oh, that's right. You're going to come here soon. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get to see you. I was just there. We yeah, just saw each other. I never, I never see you WWC because you got the one day you come out and then you hang out with the cool people. Got which two nights, include me. And got two nights. It. I got, I got dinner with Sandy before Gruber, but I, I would like to see you. I will find you. I will find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be at the talk show thing. That's this won't come out until after. Not, oh my god, our, spe- our special private time. Uh, John Syracuse, this is not going to come out until after many things are announced. Do you want to talk about your predictions? 
I had to ask. It'll be fine. This show has to be timeless. That's why we talk about recent X-Men movies. Yeah, what you call Evergreen. Yeah. I would talk about the future. I would talk about... Uh, let's leave Free Will for now. You're supposed to pick one of those two, and every time you try to pick one, then you talk yourself out of it again. Pick one. You talk yourself out of it. John, um, tonight I wanted to talk to you about uh, the notion of repping stuff. Sure. Yeah. Good. That's a string of letters that's in front of me. What, what, is, what does that mean? I think I know what this means. This is kind of about throwing shapes. What do you mean when you... Because, uh, like, uh, take 30 seconds and explain what that means to me. All right, so... On, on your other program, where you talk to John Roderick, very often conversations revolve around... Oh, that things. phrase, that phrase, what you're repping. Yeah, like, okay. and it, it comes up a lot in discussions about possessions and clothing, hairstyles, um, lots of sort of, like, things that you acquire or ways that you comport yourself or arrange yourself or you know or whatever what are you, what signal are you sending to the world who are you saying that you are like not us- really by usually actions, usually by des- by design though like what by, are you what are you what are you choosing to send a certain message right and but and again not not usually by action but mm-hmm. by things uh, by things like by things that you wear things that you own uh attitudes maybe and again like uh hairstyle Facial hair, uh, posture, looks, everything. Trying to say, like, what kind of person am I? What kind of person am I trying to tell the world that I am? And especially distinct from, not through creative works, like I'm writing the songs to tell the world what I am, not through actions, like, because I do this, it shows who I am, but by, I want to say playing dress-up, but sort of, like, all... All the things about yourself in your life, where you live, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, what kind of things you wear, what kind of places you go, you know, what kind of right. circles you travel in, all that type of stuff. That, that comes up again and again as as something that seems important to both of you. Obviously very important to John, and it's hard, hard to tell on that show what's what's important to you and what, sh- what you just know is important to John. But I think it's important to you, too, because you'll talk, you, will, you can engage in those conversations in a way that makes me think you understand that that whole concept okay I, I suddenly really like this topic that's really good um yeah and to to flesh it out a little bit i think when you talk about what you're repping i think that's a term i picked up from roderick but you know the, the um i mean one way to think of it is i haven't thought obviously i haven't thought about this but one way to think about it is like uh, what you're repping so like what it is that you're saying to other people about the world and yourself so that like you say that could be things like fashion that could be things like politics I mean, heck, that could be things like what color your icon is, what you do and don't support. So like one, but like, so one part of it is the fashion uh, that you use and not just fashion in the clothes sense, but like the fashion and adornments that you use to tell a story about who you are and who you want to be. Right. And like, to me, a big part of repping is the intentionality of it. I mean, first, in the sense that, like, I this is something that, like, like you know, think about when you're a kid and you put up posters or you put up albums. Like, for me, I would rearrange my album covers on the wall based on what my favorite albums were at the time. So I was repping something not just about music, not just about being a collector, but I was repping, like, this R.E.M. album is better than that Thompson Twins album, right? 
So there's the part of it that has, I think it must involve a combination of, it could be fashion, values, but it's got intentionality. But the other important part, especially when you're younger, is when you're repping, it's also about what you're not repping, about what you're, what you're like saying something that also indicates what you are not into or what you don't believe, right? Yeah, and I think uh, not this is going to be, uh, I was thinking of this as a childhood topic, because the more I think about it, the more you can sort of define what repping means is think about the dividing line for, for children, whether yourself or your, your own kids, between when you simply, you know, do what you want to do and uh, things that appeal to you, surround yourself with things that appeal to you to the point where you realize that other people are watching too, and you stop just dressing yourself, putting in your room or whatever things that you find appealing, start thinking about what signal they send to other people. Right. Um, and I can remember, you know, when that changes and it's not as if you're like, at least in my case, it may be different for other people. It's not as if I was ashamed of the things that I liked before, but at a certain point I remember my thinking switching from inward in terms of, you know, I really like, uh, Godzilla. So I'm going to have pictures of, I'm going to draw pictures of Godzilla. I'm going to put them in my room. I'm going to get toys of Godzilla because Godzilla is really cool. Right. Yeah. To outwardly saying, I want to tell the world that I really like computers. So I'm going to put posters around my room of computers Macintosh, and Macintosh computer team. games yeah. and people I admire in the computer industry because I know that most people have no idea who these people are, but I know who they are and they're important to me and I want to show the world. That's what I was repping. I was repping uh, that you may not know this about me, but I like this thing and you probably never heard of it, but it's so important to me that I'm going to put it on my wall. Right. And yeah. so that, uh, that is definitely a switch in childhood from, you know, in, inward to, to outward facing. And that begins for most people, a lifetime of realizing that other people see what you do and you want to give them some kind of shorthand to say, what kind of person is this? Uh, what, what are they into? What uh, do we have things in common? I mean, especially in the pre-internet days, it was a great way to signal to other people. Uh, Hey, you have a chain on your wallet. I might enjoy hanging out with you because I too have a chain in my wallet. And that means something significant in our circle in the nineties or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or what kind of shoes you're wearing or anything like that. Like that it was an outward facing signal that it was, you were telling yourself you were this person, but also you were telling other people that, uh, that, that you were, you know, you learn to read the signs. What what should I should I not have a chance? Should I or wear uh you know the the shirt with the alligator on it, or do I not want to wear the shirt with the alligator on it? Like which which person am I, and do I know the signs of this culture, and how can I represent myself? Yeah, I feel like this is, um, I mean, unintentionally to me, like a a companion topic to episode fourteen of this show, children's shoes, where we talked about clothes, and you think about um you know you you were just basically I think talking about like something that fits and something that's comfortable, something that's replicable <laughs> will take, um, will take precedence over most other things for you. Like you're not out there, you're not going through thrift shops and trying to find the exactly perfect thing that screams like 1988 redux. Like you, you have a certain way you want to dress that's based on comfort, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I find this, this topic so fascinating when John talks about it, who is an older gentleman, let's say, um, and, and he, like yourself, and he's, he's had a life and he has accomplishments and talents and some measure of fame. And yet seems from my perspective to spend an amount of time much larger than me thinking about what he's going to, everyone spends more time than me thinking about what they're going to wear. But like, but thinking about what kind of person am I, what kind of clothes do I want to wear at this 
stage in my life? What signal am I sending with those clothes? Who would I like to be? What clothes can I not get away with wearing? Because even though they're who I like to be, it's clear that I'm not that person, so I can't pull that off. Like, right. lots of thinking about, I don't know if you can say dressing aspirationally, but like, dressing as the person you want to be but never will be, or you would have liked to have been but aren't, but mm-hmm. can dress like now, but not going over the line into dressing the way it seems like you can't support. And but, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the reason that I, that I brought up the children's uh, shoes episode uh, was that I, I think you you made a good case for kind of like we both were kind of saying, look, the way that I'm dressed is not. I want you to understand. First of all, I'm walking up and I'm like a, like a submissive dog. Like, no, please notice from the way that I am dressed that I am a non-combatant. So, like to me, the reason I mentioned this episode is that to me, some of these choices are also they're about the things you care deeply about and need people to know about. There are things you want to telegraph subtly. There are things you want to say about what you don't like, what you don't believe in. But in this case, it also you want to be unambiguous about saying I'm a non-player character for certain kinds of things. Like I, it's it. I guess this is difficult to describe, but it becomes important in some ways to say like what things you publicly and importantly don't have a big opinion about. So like, I want to let people know, like, look, look at the way that I'm dressed. Like, don't judge me by my clothes. Like, please don't include me in that. And that becomes unintentionally a kind of repping too. Yeah. That's the difficulty about that because clothes are so tricky in that you may think you're wearing something that is just, you know, sort of blah and neutral. But if like me, you never revisit that and keep wearing it for years and years, eventually it's not blonde neutral anymore. You are out of fashion unintentionally merely by not paying attention to fashion and you look silly or people think you're wearing something ironically or it's like normcore or something. And you're like, no, I've, I've, you know, I've lost it. You have, there's a certain amount of maintenance you have to do even just to keep that up. And I think there was also, this is a part where I can relate to your uh, nervousness around tech nerds and stuff that, uh, there is a certain point where you feel some measure of shame when hanging out with other people who clearly dress better than you. Like, they're not that they're judging you or anything, but that's like, like, like you feel like you feel left out. You feel a little bit left out. Not left out, but like the, again with the children's shoes, like that the, the, they end up looking on you with some kind of pity. There's some baseline amount of of fashion sensibilities that required to just be to live in the adult world, and you can't even achieve that. And it's it's hard to like it's hard to mix in those circles and it, it would be like if you were hanging out with a group of musicians and you couldn't play a single instrument like it's not that they're mean to you or anything no, but, but like no, no like, matter how much you talk about the music that you love you cannot participate um primarily in that conversation because you you there's nothing you can say about it Right, it's like oh, you know, or it would be like not not being able to speak, and all you can I don't know, like I, I don't know what the analogy is, but because because fashion, because most of the world is able to maintain a baseline level of reasonable fashion sense, and some people are actually good with fashion, it's very likely you will end up in any mixed gathering, even with a bunch of tech nerds WWDC, with people who are better dressed than you and who right. are more assured about what they're wearing, and are at the next level where they're even trying to rep certain things, and all you're trying to do is make sure that no one notices what you're wearing, ever. But I think, I mean, I don't want to let too much time pass here without saying something that's important, and uh, it should be obvious, but let's let's call it out. So when John Syracuse chooses to wear children's shoes and a long-sleeve rugby that fits for now, or when I choose to wear a Fantastic Four shirt and a pair of Levi's, like, we get the benefit or 
feel like privilege of just being guys who aren't dressed very well. And that what that reps is we're just being comfortable. The thing is, if a woman shows up at the office like wearing like sweatpants and Crocs and like a a a, 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 a bedazzled <laughs> uh, sweater from Christmas time, just because that's what's comfortable today, like that unintentionally becomes a huge statement about who you think you are, what you think is acceptable, and how you want to be treated. I'm not agreeing with it, but do you know what I mean? Like if you if you are not playing in that game. Some places, if you wear flat shoes to work, like if you wear the kind of shoes that uh, Famke Jansen is wearing in those movies, because she's actually six feet tall, like you're gonna, you might get in trouble at work. It looks like you're not serious because you're not wearing the right shoes. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, we, I think we said it on the previous. That, that's the worst. That, I mean, I, I, I would be so incredibly angry if I had to live in that world because it is so ridiculous and unfair. And well, I just, I just don't want to leave it. I just don't want to leave it yeah, out yeah, there yeah. that like there's there's anything even vaguely similar because yeah, like, no, I mean that's. Yeah, that's a whole other level. I'm I'm just talking about you know like silly nerd things, but you would think it wouldn't be an issue among nerds, but it is again because just even among nerds who probably people who are actually fashionable think we all look terrible, but everything is relative. Oh, um, I I have a very depressing anecdote about this. Yeah, and and the, and by the way, in, in the mixed company of nerds where there are you know. There's all kinds of people. WWC isn't just nerds anymore. It's like business people and like everybody or whatever. And in any mixed company like that, again, most people, they're going to be like above average. Like they're going to be dressed above average. They're going to be above average dressers, especially the women who are forced through because our, because of our twisted society, like whether they like it or not. You got to wear boots. You got to wear boots and a skirt. That's like what you got to do at a conference to learn, to learn whatever, you know, they're like, forced in this crazy army camp thing to to conform and to learn some minimum amount of fashion that is like well beyond anything that i will ever have to learn in my life um and that makes them able to even better tell how poorly dressed many of the men that are there and i mean in some in schemes it doesn't matter but i mean I, I guess i should just be looking at it like a hobby like anything else like oh you're really into uh you know house plants and you have lots of different kinds of house plants and that's your hobby and that's cool and that's fine and i shouldn't feel bad that every house plant i have dies but because like like you with sports because it's so common and so much of the rest of the world seems to be able to pull this off and is able to express things about themselves with clothing it's a strange it seems strange to me like every time i hear router talk about it and one part of my mind i'm like it seems silly to me like what are you what are you doing exactly like Say you get the perfect item to represent yourself as whatever it is that you want to be. Like, then what happens? Then I guess you just sit there content, knowing that you are sending the signal out. It doesn't actually make you a retired CIA director. It doesn't actually make you like an old man with a, a wizard jangly stick. Like, like, what happens after that? Right. But that would be like asking the plant person. Say you get a bunch of plants that you like and you water them every day and they grow. Then what happens? Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. That's, that's the end. That's the end point. Of, like, there is no, there is no then what happens. There isn't, it's, I don't know. Um, but I, I find it very foreign. And at the same time, I realize I'm the weird one here um, because the entire world operates on representing things about yourself by things that you own, cars that you drive, house that you live, you know, all that stuff, even just where you live. Like, what does it say about you and, you know, which part of which city you live in, right? Like, <laughs> Every, everything right. can be part of this if viewed through through the, the oh, there's the lens there's that, many many layers of um both 
unintentional, intentional, and partially intentional signification. There's so many layers of, of and you know, the truth is a lot of things, it becomes like a hanky code where you're, you're not even sure what it is you're not understanding about something. Like, you know, and it, that, that could even be for fairly mainstream things. Like I think about something, think about something like, um, like the, uh, the mods that you see in Quadrophenia, like with their scooters, with the lamps on it and wearing the right kind of jacket and stuff like that. And like, if I had to, without going and having a visual guy was asked to cobble together a, a mod acceptable, I was going to say Vespa. I don't even know if Vespa is the right kind to me. That's a Vespa, but like, but to them, they see so much. It's like when I make a dumb computer joke and then you find 50 things wrong with it because it, it doesn't even not make sense in the right way. Like it's that same problem. Like we, somebody can have insight into something where they get the equivalent of almost like they live vision to like look at something and instantly be able to ascertain how well that, that person gets the thing that's being signified. Right? Yeah, and, and, and that is the, the hobby slash sport aspect of it. There is something to be said for, like, I, I think it's almost more like a sport than a hobby, or maybe it's like performance art. The collecting and repping part? The people who are good at it, where they go out, they assemble a bunch of stuff because they want to look like the kind of person who X, and they exactly do it, and they nail it, and they go out, and they look like the kind of person who whatever. And they know they've nailed it, and everyone else knows they've nailed it, and of course all of this, it helps to be super attractive, like the... The, or to be super weird. Yeah, or, but really. But, like, did you see that movie Iris? Did you watch that? Uh, no. The documentary of the style lady who has this very peculiar, you know, sense of style. You know, I think in the right context, you don't have to be just beautiful. I mean, there there are people who in, I mean, think about somebody like Edith Head, or think about, I'm trying to think of some other, you know, similar kinds of people. But there have been a lot of people, and I'm deliberately picking out women, but even look at somebody like Studs Terkel. Like Studs Terkel always wore exactly the same thing until that became like his thing. If I now when I put on a checkered shirt that I bought at uh, uh, like at the store, I, I look like a a, a Studs Terkel <laughs> cosplayer. You know what I mean? Just because he wore a checkered shirt so often. Yeah, and fame goes a long way towards like you winning the uh, the, the sport of representing something because whatever it is that you decide to wear becomes that important thing because the celebrity weren't the attractiveness is distracting because there's so much more to it than the physical attraction it's all it's it's wealth it's status it's like who you're friends with it's you know like was 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 andy warhol like a good looking guy not particularly he wasn't even a particularly smart guy but like there's something about his mojo that was right for the for the time yeah yeah attractiveness is more than just like the, the shape of your body it's all like confidence in how you present yourself and how you carry yourself and stuff like that but like for the regular person all that stuff counts, but also... You can, you can get away with a lot more. Also, yeah. you. I mean, especially you look through... I mean, you learn this when you're when you're young, and probably girls learn this way earlier and much more thoroughly than boys. You can look through clothing catalogs, and or like me, look through clothing, clothing catalogs in desperation trying to find something that you think you can wear. Like, my, my experience of looking through looking at clothes as a kid was I very quickly learned lots of clothing that I'm going to see looks good either on the store or on the models in the magazines. But like, it's kind of like seeing something and saying, well, I can't pull that off. Everything I looked at, I would say, I can't pull that off. And I just have a big, lanky, skinny body. Like it's straight up the middle in terms of hangers to hang clothes on. It's not like I had body challenges, right? It was all entirely in my head. Um, but worse so, if you don't look like the, the shape of the people in the catalogs, and especially again for women, it's like you look at a picture like, oh, that's a nice dress. Like, no. That's not a nice dress. 
That's a model. That dress, if you put it on a normal person, would look like a burlap sack. You're not seeing the dress. You're seeing the person in it. Writ large, I would I would call this the uh, the garter belt problem. Um, but like it's it's really anything where like even up into college when I can consider myself at least one quarter woke as a person, like I would still like I, I would see my friends who are girls like it always seems so strange and paradoxical to me that my my friends, including my girlfriend and girlfriends or whomever, like all all these girls that were very. Um, very overtly like a feminist of their time like they would still they would it, it was part of their thing to like look through a fashion magazine and make fun of it like all women do that like it doesn't matter where you are on any spectrum like most women will look at a fashion magazine with some ineffable combination of like interest and disgust and but like part of that and then so i'm not about to try and unpack all of that except to say i think that is a thing but as they're going through it they'll be like oh yeah that'll look great oh check it out gwen swimsuit season's coming up you should get one of these my friend who's like five feet tall you know it's like oh yeah this would look great on me you know <laughs> with my hobbit legs this would look so good and i would think oh we, you girls stop it don't be so you're all so pretty like why would you be so hard on yourselves and it's like Ah, like I've never, as much as I would like to think I've had the experience of walking into a changing room and putting on a bathing suit, I am I am on a different planet from from what they're on. And what they were doing was their own kind of act of rebellion at doing that. It was like looking at the fashion and like, I don't know, in this weirdly Keatsian way, being able to look at this thing in two very, very different ways. And uh, But, but I, I didn't really get it, get it, for a, a pretty long time that like, no, no, seriously, we're not saying that because we hate ourselves. We're saying that because these clothes were made for someone who's six feet tall, a woman who's six feet tall. Almost no women are six feet tall. And you know what's funny? Like 80% of the women who are six feet tall, if they put this on, would look weird. They picked this model for this shot because th- these capri pants would look good on her. Yeah, and, and like those models, you could drop cloth from the top of the studio ceiling and it would land on them and then take a picture and they would still look good. Like, <laughs> they're not even clothes at that point. Basically, and the model might still at, say, this makes me look heavy in this one part of my right. thigh that I feel feel funny about. Right, and they'll just fix that in Photoshop. It's like, it's just, right. it's, it's, it's nonsensical. And so that's why it's like the trap of looking at, at clothing, even just on mannequins, like it's not representative of how it's going to look on you. And you quickly learn which things like you have to look at the clothing and say, will that will that fit? Will that look like it looks like them on me? Like, that's just the the physical aspect of it. And then my hang up was like physically fine. Like I'm tall, I'm skinny, whatever. Like I'm not muscular or anything. But in general, I'm a reasonable hanger for clothes. I have arms and legs and a torso and just like straight ahead, straight forward, especially when I was a kid. And yet I would still look at everything in the catalog and say, I can't wear that. I, I, what I felt like was, I felt like I would be going to school in a Halloween outfit. Like that if I wear this, I will be sending a signal that I'm someone who has nice clothes or knows something about nice clothes, but I'm not. And everyone will see that. And it would be as if I went to school with like a, a, fake, a fake mustache. It might as well or be a fake ba- mustache. You know, a su- like a Superman costume from Halloween with a little plastic mask. And I, it would be I, like, I, I, don't di- I don't disagree. I just, I just say fake mustache because people would immediately go, that does not belong on your face, and you have no business pretending that that's normal. Like that, that feeling of, I, for me, this is eighth grade. Starting in eighth grade at a new school, and I don't mean to make it about clothes again, but the repping part becomes important because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to make my hair look right, and I was cobbling together all these little pieces these little fragments of what I thought was the person that I should be. And I sucked at all of it. 
and then I showed up and I and it was it was like freaks and geeks. I just I I I, I looked like the outcast that I was because I was immediately clockable as somebody who did not understand not only didn't understand how to present the thing he thought he was repping, like I did not really understand what it is I was trying to, like, are you trying to be like a gay disco guy or are you trying to be Bo Duke or like somewhere in between? Like where, where, what, what, where are you trying to land this thing? And I couldn't even tell you in my own mind because it was just such a, a weird mishmash from this palette of like what I had access to. And the people, and speaking of middle school, the, the, the active rebellion when I was in middle school against the idea of the same people who felt like they couldn't they couldn't dress like what all of the people their age in the the clothing store ads and everything dressed like and they were angry about it because that was the way everyone expected them to look right and so the act of rebellion was you muss up your hair you wear a crappy t-shirt and you get a denim jacket right and the denim jacket covers all boy and girl you get the denim jacket you get like the the rock and roll t-shirt uh, you get some jeans, you get a weird belt, and you don't really pay attention to your hair, and it looks all like a mess. <laughs> but but that was also something that I couldn't pull off because those people smoked. Uh, might be also tough. there's a right way to do it. That's the thing is it looks like it is as you say. I mean, there's no there's no way to just throw an American burka on yourself and show up somewhere and everybody goes, oh, that's cool. We'll just leave you alone because no matter what you do, you're gonna be. You're first by most people. I think you're going to be interpolated as being this general kind of thing, and then there's going to be a fairly instantaneous decision on how well you're pulling off what that thing is. Yeah, and middle school was like the, when that was sort of forming. So you didn't have to like uh, white snake and rat and poison, but eventually <laughs> you did. And so, but like in, in middle school, when they were just developing into what they would be in high school, like I knew a lot of girls who did this look too, and they were essentially rebelling about the idea that they had to look like whatever they cared to look like in the eighties. Like, I don't know, from you know, from the the uh, the blonde uh, cheerleader girl, the eighties movies, and they were like, "Oh hell no, that's not going to be me for like, whatever I'm, reason." I'm not going to have like a high maintenance, uh, like a not a the, bang, the bangs, not a perm, and the hair like, yeah, something where you got to use a curling iron. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, and like they were just, you know, th- that was their active rebellion, and uh, and they were uh, many of them were trying to get out of the limelight. Stop looking at me! I don't look like the other people. Just make me invisible. But eventually, you couldn't be invisible in a denim jacket because then you had to fit in. Like then you had to eventually be repping that whole thing. And they were like, "Well, I'm not into that music, and I don't want to smoke." And you know, like it, and like my home life is good, and I'm not Judd Nelson from from uh, what do you call it? Uh, Breakfast Club. Yes. Uh, and so that was a thing that you were repping too. It was like impossible to know. Like, like you said, there was no, there was no like a giant, uh, sack that you could put over yourself or invisible, uh, you know, camouflage cloak. You just had to figure out some way to wear what you thought were normal clothes. And for my whole, I still feel this way for my whole life. When I go into the store and I look like in the men's section and I see what, what men are expected to wear, I look at everything in the men's section and I'm like, I can't imagine wearing that, like, ever. Like, I don't... Like, again, even as an adult, I feel like I, it would be like I was dressing up in a costume. These don't feel like clothes that... It's like I'm on... It's like, it's like everything is a period piece. Like, I'm... I'm <laughs> like, you're Ron, Weas- you're Ron Weasley putting on uh, the, the robes for the big dance, right? Yeah, like, a backstage at a, a, a stage play. It's like, okay, in this scene, it's colonial times, and you'll dress like this and wear a white wig. Like, But every single piece of clothing I see, it looks like that, and I'm always looking for this piece <laughs> of Everything's a tricorn hat to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking for something that looks like just normal clothes. And I'm like, yeah. isn't there such a thing as normal? Like, what do, but I don't, I don't know. I'm so lost. And 
<laughs> like that's why I end up, you know, jeans at least have been around for so long and they're so timeless with the exception of the shape changing in the jeans. I feel like, and even though I'm probably wearing like dad jeans or whatever, you know, like I'm probably wearing the wrong kind of jeans. They're shaped wrong or whatever, but just like jeans. All right. That, that's half the body covered already. Right. So that's pretty good. Right. Uh, and, uh, and tuxedos are incredibly uncomfortable, but if I could wear one every day, at least it'd be like, well, tuxedo is a tuxedo and that's straightforward, but I, you know, I would never want to wear that. So then I'm just looking for something for, for the rest of what I'm wearing. In the meantime, other people are out there like batting the ball back and forth in this sport that they all enjoy strutting around for each other, go, being enjoying some of them, enjoying the fact of going out and shopping for clothes and deciding how they right. want to present themselves to the world and come riding up on their Vespa scooter with their, you know, I don't their, know, if their wallet, lamps, <laughs> if their wallet chains are, are still a thing or whatever, or their jaunty hat or like hats, like hats. The only time I wear a hat is when my ears are cold, like hats, even a baseball hat. Like I, I just, I just use it to, to cover my hair. Let me let me pivot this a little bit to get beyond clothes, but like here's one, and we talk about repping and the history of of repping a certain look. Um, the deliberately, well, let's just call it shaving your head. The deliberately shorn head, and like I, you know, not not to go all like you know semiotic here, but think about even in the space of fifteen or twenty years how that's changed, where choosing to be a person who cut off almost all or all of the hair on their head, basically you would be the butt of Yul Brynner jokes or people would assume you're in chemo uh, or people would assume you're a skinhead. Like that, that, that was basically the option. So like when I see that, that, that woman from the Kanye West videos, who's uh, friends with Amy Schumer, I see this woman with this uh, kind of dark skin and like shorn and like uh, dyed white hair. I think about like how cool that is. Or I think about like how like provocative it was when Sinead O'Connor showed up with no hair. Right, like think about what it means to have no hair over the past twenty-five years, and think about like the difference in what you're repping. Michael Chiklis comes out with it with his uh, shorn look, and you're like, man, that guy looks pretty cool. He looks a lot cooler than when he had those little uh, uh, Return of the Jedi uh, headphones on the sides. Well, like like so many things, <laughs> this this particular fashion trend, uh, I feel like was made to cover up uh, the insecurities and shortcomings of men who are losing their hair. Like you know, it was like. Some men are uncomfortable about the fact that they don't conform to... So they're going to invent a fashion in which, no, 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 I'm not balding, I'm shaving my head, and now I'm a tough guy, right? Might have, might have started as that. Can you think of a woman's fashion that, that, was, that was derived the same way? Women are uncomfortable uh, with uh, conventional views of their bodies in this way. Therefore, this new fashion will make it so that that... You don't have to worry about that anymore. And in fact, the thing that you were worried about is better. So, like, Well, speaking of Amy Schumer, there's a wonderful sketch on Amy Schumer called The Cut. And it's about this, basically, this uh, the equivalent of this cult of women who've had babies that all have exactly that, that one haircut that every mom gets. Where it's, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a joke, but it's, it's like, like a lot of Amy Schumer stuff. It's funny on a lot of levels because it's kind of true. You're like, you know what? I had a baby. I don't want to deal with my hair right now. Like that is, in some ways, there are haircuts a woman can get that are the equivalent, not the equivalent of shaving your head, but are a way of saying like, no, this needs to just be, be real functional. But I want to, I want to push back a little bit on what you're saying because I think it's one thing to go totally Yule Brenner, uh, or totally Sinead O'Connor. And, you know, God bless her. She had the head shape. She looked great with a shaved head. I, I would not. I know I would look dented. I would look like an AMC TV show villain if I shaved my head. But I think it's kind of cool that you can obviously be, like, say Picard when he first started doing it. Or again, like uh, like the, uh, the cop in Breaking Bad. Right? You can have very, 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 very short hair, 
but you're not doing that like Wallace Shawn thing. You're not doing that like uh, Mike Stivic thing. You know what I mean? That it's, used to be that used to be what you had to do though. Like in the in the seventies, you had uh, to keep whatever hair you had. Sixties and seventies, you had to the, grow it like it was a full head of hair, but it wasn't. It was look just at Paul Simon. Paul Simon on some of those covers, it's embarrassing to everyone. Yeah, and and like the thing is, you had to do that because it was like this is as close as I could get to what society wants me to look like, and I can't get all <laughs> the way there. But getting part of the way there, like, is the best I can do, and you and you'd feel bad about it. And there was all sorts of you know. Toupees and hair replacement. It's like it's a part of the body that some men f- felt like through, through no fault of their own could not conform to whatever society says they're supposed to look like. And they hacked it by saying, well, here's a new thing that anybody could do because anyone can shave off their hair. You don't have to have any hair. You can just remove it and just keep up that maintenance. Right. And it actually makes you seem like a tough guy. And uh, we have circumvented that entirely. It's as if, you know, the woman thing of like, we want women to have long hair. Like society wants them all to have long hair. And they found a way to make it so that a shaved head was deemed more attractive than long hair. Like they have not pulled that off. That's what I'm saying is the, is the opposite thing. Men is like, oh, you look so just, you know, distinguished and handsome and tough and like all these great qualities that go along with, with shaved head. It would be as if w- women had done the same thing with like, it used to be long hair, but now actually, I mean, I guess they kind of did maybe with the pixie cut in the sixties briefly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Or like, uh, the, uh, like the Mia Farrow. Vidal Sassoon cut but, but it in, never uh, seems to stick because men men's demand for long hair always comes swinging back and it's like no uh-huh. women you're not allowed to look like you want to look like there's no hack you can do men will always force you to look how they want you to look so but also but I mean in passing I also want to just call out as we move past this that you talked before about like you know oh it'd be so nice if you could just like have your hair just be however and wear a denim jacket which covers all or you could be uh, a woman who has this really easy but like have you spent any time trying to make your hair look like you didn't spend a lot of time on it and not have it look terrible? It uh, takes so much more effort. Any kind of like my hair is another disaster. I've, I've had the same haircut <laughs> since it's basically since middle school. This is the same haircut I've had, and like I'm losing my hair, so the same haircut doesn't look the same. It looks. Your, it looks I, like, I never noticed that. Yeah, I used to have huh. so much more hair. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, man. But anyway, look at the pictures like, of Paul Simon right now. I think you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this hairline's going to end up, but it's it's traveling upwards. But but whatever. Like that's I you know I don't care about that except for insofar as it makes it so that my haircut that I've had since middle school stops being feasible. It's like uh, do I have to? Because it's the same thing. Why haven't you changed your haircut since? Who's oh, not changed right. their haircut in middle school? Do you know any women in your life who have not changed their haircut since middle school? No, society won't allow that. But somehow it allows me to get away with it. Uh, barely. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. Sleep, glorious sleep. To this end, Casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven and inflated prices. Thank you, Casper. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly onto you, the sleep desirous consumer. Its award-winning mattress was developed in-house, it has a sleek design, and is delivered in an impossibly small box. They wrote that down for me to say, but it's actually really true. It is a ridiculously small box. More on that in a minute. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. You can put those right on the mattress. Quality. Quality, glorious quality. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly 
fair price. It's a new kind of hybrid mattress. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning mattress that's, as many people say, it's got just the right sink and just the right bounce time. Magazine, yes, that time magazine, named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Look it up. In fact, it is now, as we speak, the most awarded mattress of the decade, turns out. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature throughout the night. If there's one thing you want to regulate throughout the night, it is your temperature, and your Casper is going to do that. Now, here's the thing. Cost. Glorious cost. Oh, my goodness. Mattresses often cost over $1,500. You can go look this up. It's true. It's ponderous. But Casper mattresses, so much less expensive. $500 for a twin-size mattress. $750 for a full. $850 queen. I say go all the way. Put, put, put all your dimes on your donuts. You get, a, you get 950 you get a king-size mattress. It's in your house. And the box, you get a box that you can just carry up steps by yourself like a person. You don't, you don't need a friend. You've got a mattress. You don't need a friend. You carry it up yourself. You take it out of a bag. It goes, <clears throat> and now you get this beautiful mattress. Please, please check this out. You know, I saved this for the end, but can I just say one more thing? Made in America. America, glorious America. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns in the U.S. They have a 100-night home trial. If you don't like it, they'll come pick it up. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit. Before you commit. Before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend one-third of your life on it. You're going to want to spend more because you're going to love this thing. And right now, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the very special offer code diffs. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Somebody told me once in college something, and I probably talked about this once before, at least here, but somebody once said that uh, for a long time, at least, uh, women in particular, and many men, will tend, as they get older, will tend to keep their hair in the style of the time they were happiest in life. Which, I don't know, that's a very general thing, but I really think about that. I think about all the people I knew in the 70s and 80s where the guys still had a, had a DA, where the women had like a beehive, or like my grandmother. My grandmother had essentially the same kind of hair that she had in the like late 50s. Well, I think women have the exact same issue that men do is that as you get older, your hair changes and you can't, certain hairstyles you can't do. That's like why, why the old lady updo uh, stays so long is because... If you try to keep your hair like down to the middle of your back when you're 80 years old, mm-hmm. no matter man or woman, you don't have enough hair to pull that off unless you are extraordinarily lucky, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to end up. I mean, and the short hair again, practically speaking, like babies pull hair, and you have no time, and you're going to be a zombie. And you're going to get barf you know, in it. You're going to have barf right, in your hair. Yeah, that's you know, practically speaking, there are things that happen as we age and have children that have to affect uh, how our hair changes. So I don't think it's as simple as the hairstyle that they were happiest because. No, it's things are going to change, and eventually, in many cases, your favorite hairstyle will no longer look good on you because you change it. And so, I mean, that's what's happening to me as well. And yet, still, I maintain it because I have, like, I, I think about shaving my head all the time. I really just want to hit, hit the big reset button on that. But mm. like you, I know I would look, look like a starving. Look, I would look yeah. like a starving prisoner or an alien <laughs> or like I don't know. It would be a mess, right? I understand that. I love you, <laughs> but but. I'm not sure what's going on right now is any better, really. So, anyway, I mean, that's, yeah. I don't know. I'm hoping, I, that's why you, you feel like you hopefully have people in your life, or at the very least your wife, who will guide you, keep you out of complete disaster. But I don't know. I, I don't know if, I, if people in my life can be trustworthy. We were at the glasses store the other day, getting my daughter <laughs> her first pair of glasses, and I was trying on some frames while I was there. 
same thing with with glasses frames even like i have the same kind of style of glasses more or less than, than i've had in my entire life and i was trying different ones i'm like hey everyone in my family has these new like modern style of glasses from the last two decades you know these newfangled yeah like when the when the look changed it's not like quite a buddy holly look but there's a more like uh there's a certain like non-wire look you've you've got the the you know i hate my glasses well whatever my glasses make me look so much older than i am you have those glasses right i know and so i put them on i showed them and my whole family including my wife was like no we're just used to you the way you look. So, like, I'm I'm stuck in this t- in this time capsule of unfashionableness, Ugh. and they don't want me to leave because if I put on the other things, I don't look like me anymore. Excruciating. Which, I mean, which is fine. Like, I accept that. It's easy for me, but I still wonder as I wander through time as this weird, you know, time traveler person wearing a puffy jacket from the '80s. Only I went forward instead of backwards. With the time we have available, we should make sure we move beyond clothes. Other kinds of things. One reps. I'm thinking of things like uh, society, culture, and politics. What are other kinds of things that people rep besides their personal sense of style um, with clothes? What are other things that people rep? I think cars are, I mean, under the... Oh, God, of course. Now you love talking about cars. No, 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 but no, no, no. It's, that's exactly a perfect example. The obvious thing of people repping cars is like, oh, I've got a sports car. Like, what am I trying to say to myself? Or I've got a minivan or whatever. Like, there's there's all the obvious ones. But I would say one of the biggest things people are repping with cars... And, you know, maybe this, I wouldn't have thought of this when I was younger and had no money, didn't have to sustain myself. But very quickly when I became an adult, I learned one of the things you're repping with cars is how much money you're willing to spend to rep yourself with cars. Yes. I, I put that poorly with clothes, but that no, that's exactly right. A big part of repping is about repping. Right. It's like you would think people like they're trying to show how wealthy they are by having this Mercedes. But... If you know a little bit about, just a little bit more about the person, what you could figure out is, is that Mercedes the same portion of their yearly income as my Hyundai? Or is it seven times the portion of their yearly income as my Hyundai? Because those are two very different things that you're repping. One of them is, right. I have a huge amount of money and this car is nothing to me and I want nice things. And the other one is, I am barely able to afford the payments on this car, but it is really important for me to have an expensive car or to have a sporty car because what i'm repping myself is that i'm into sports cars and this is my hobby and i'm going to spend a huge amount of my money like whatever it is or to have like a hybrid car even though again hybrid cars tend to be more expensive than regular cars but you want to show people that you care about the environment and in fact you do care about the environment enough to sacrifice budget that would otherwise go to you know uh a nicer place to live or right, more right, vacations right. or whatever but instead you're spending a larger portion it's like what portion of your income do you want to put into this car that's going to say something about yourself right and and, and the thing is it also the oh god I, this sends me down the shame hole back to middle school again but like for example let's say you had an improbable influx of money and said okay i'm finally ready to get I don't mean to build a straw man here, but let's say let's say you're you're like a a guy who's scrapped for a long time. Maybe you're like a middle aged guy. Maybe you're a divorced guy. But let's say for the sake of argument, you get a certain amount of six figures of money and say like I'm ready to really get. I, I you know what I owe it to myself at this point to get a really nice car. And like the two things that I know are that I want to spend a lot of money. Well, three things. I want to spend a lot of money on this car. I want people to know that I spend a lot of money on this car. And I kind of want people to look at it and go, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, that's a nice one. Like, people who care about this stuff like I nominally do, I want them to care too. 
but it, you're already you're so like this is uh oh god paul's case like this is uh that, that wonderful is it willa cather story that i'm always mentioning like in this case like you you know but if you're new to this you know, I mean, you're like you're like the foxcatcher guy. Like, you don't really understand what it is you're getting into. Surrounding yourself with all this stuff is not going to make you better at who you are. And so, like, you might actually end up buying the model of a car. You might buy the VX in Macintosh terms. You might end up buying this thing that ends up very quickly seeming like something only dingalings bought because they didn't know better. I don't know if I'm putting that well. VX is a bad example, but I mean to say, like, what if you what if you ended up buying something that like is a famous dingling kind of car to buy? You bought one that ends up getting recalled. You get one where, like, in the case of like I say with the VX, a better one comes along more quickly, and you would have known that if you actually knew what you were doing. And instead, the amount of money you spend on this thing that you meant to be like a Veblen good or be some kind of like a conspicuous consumption ends up just making you a conspicuous dingling. More likely with cars, what tends to happen is kind of like with baby names, but in, in a worse way where people name their babies and they think they're, they don't want to name babies like anyone else names. They're going to have a unique name, but of course they don't realize that everyone else who's having a baby at the same time is thinking exactly the same things and they right, all know right, the, right. the past year's baby, you know, and, so they, and then eventually end up with all the same names. When people buy cars, they think the signal they're sending is like, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know. I want to get a Corvette because cool people have Corvettes and they don't realize that the Corvette has, has turned the corner and now is kind of the jerky, uh, machismo American, like it, it used to be the cool car, but now the, th- that stereotype is wrapped around and they didn't realize it because they're the whole reason that stereotype was turned around. And by the time you get it, you're like, right. what Corvette's not Corvette's not everyone's buying imports. What? I don't, I thought imports were garbage. We don't like import, but it's too late. Like that. It's a, it's like especially a, if especially if the part of you that you're trying to uh, heal or decorate is the part of you that goes like, oh man, Burt Reynolds in a '78 Trans Am, I should get whatever. You know what I mean? That same kind right. of thing where you have not updated your idea. Like for me, that would be a '64 and a half or a '65 Mustang. Um, like my one of my best, not best friends, but a good friend I had was a Mustang guy even at the age of 17 or 18 <laughs> when they were only 15 years old, and he had a '64 and a half and a '65 Mustang. He had a '65 blue Mustang with pony interior, and to this day, even though I know it's unsafe. Isn't that crazy? Like that's an idea in my head from like 1981. I still think if I if you if you like sh- woke me out of bed in the middle of the night and said like if you had nothing else in the world to worry about like what would your dream car be? There's a part of me that would still go like Mustang with pony interior. Even though like why would I want that? Where would I drive that? I don't even like to drive, but that's like in my that's in my thinking now. <laughs> that's why like these days it's so weird like I would love to see these demographics, but in my experience of the world, if a Corvette drives by, I play this little game where <laughs> I, I try to guess who the driver will be, and gray-haired and white guys... And what Blues Traveler song will is, be playing? <laughs> no, gray-haired white guy is a really good guess. You, because oh, like, oh, absolutely. And even if it's a modern Corvette, that's what I'm getting. Like the, the Corvette model has such a lineage that it's like, it's people who thought the Corvette was cool when they were kids... In the fifties, right? That, that's his. That's like me buying giant size X Men. That's him buying his toy, right? And, but they keep buying them. They keep buying each new Corvette because they're a doctor or whatever. And year after year after year, they keep buying the new Corvettes. Like they're not. Like, I worry about the brand because it's like, where are, are any young people attracted to the Corvette? You know, not as many as used to be. Or like BMWs. The whole uh, <laughs> reputation of BMW drivers is being jerks or being like you know uh, foreigners who are obnoxious and, and don't respect our customs right. and are just here to you know dance at our discotheques and and, and now it's like the uh it's the, it's the jag of sports cars no, no not jag is in jaguar but jag is in the cbs show 
Yeah. And so, so many things about cars. I feel like unintentionally sick, but there are so many bad reputations for everybody. Like, you know, the Prius driver is some hippy dippy person who drives too slow. The VW bus, I mean, well, you know what that says. Yeah, like, sure, sure. Like, there's so many negative connotations. And yet, for all the negative stereotyping about what kind of cars you buy, the people buying them are repping, or think they're repping what they want to rep, and are ignoring the fact that people, like, uh, they, they reject the idea that just because I buy a Prius, I'm a hippy-dippy person, right? They they reject the idea that people sneer at them and think, you think you're better than me because you drive a Prius? Like, they reject that. And to what they're, what they're repping that's, that's, is... That's their repping, yeah. Right. I, 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 is that I do want to care about the environment and want to buy a, a modern car that doesn't spew smoke and all... Like, that's... That's what they're repping, and then the reverse side of it, they don't mind it. And I guess it's kind of the same in fashion, in that, like, I don't know, I don't know if I have fashion to make analogies, but not to bring it back to clothes again, but, like, there's probably a negative side to all the, all the clothing that looks like it's put together and showing a certain thing. Other people look at them, like, I don't know, like, Ugg boots still when I think of. I don't have no idea what the <laughs> what the signaling of Ugg boots was. Oh, that's a great example. But I know that some people really liked them and thought they were awesome, and some people looked at, looked at everyone who wore them, and they were mad about it for some reason. I don't understand either way, but clearly there were two sides to that coin. Well, I mean, like, for me, that's flip-flops. It's like, the, the, like not that it matters, but like the, the message that you are or aren't sending with flip-flops may not be what I'm receiving, let alone what John Roderick is receiving. Yeah, flip-flop, flip-flops are for the beach. Like, I always, whenever he talks about flip-flops, I'm like, they're but, barely, they're barely, they're barely for the beach. Barely. I, I, I guess in California, you see people wearing them not at the beach, but like. Oh, well, you know, um, I know you haven't listened to the talk show yet. Uh, Eddie Q was wearing them at the. Uh, uh, oh, no, yeah, I saw that. I saw that in the picture. Yeah, I didn't, that. Did not read. It was like kind of like someone where you know those little uh, plastic issues you wear in hospitals, or like right, like yeah. someone went out of the house wearing those. It'd be like okay, is it anyway, okay? is that right? Right, no, but like it just it's like a utilitarian thing. It would be like wearing flippers to me because I come from a beach. <laughs> I come from right. a beach, a beach place, and it's like you yeah, you beach. wear them at the beach because they're because they're utilitarian. But um, yeah, but like, but uh, that's. I don't. I don't understand California fashion at all. I guess there's a lot of climate things that I don't. One understand time, about. maybe uh, this is a car-related one, but it's it's funny because just as of the shadow that it, that it left, because you know we've been driving the same really old Volkswagen uh, for a long time. At some point, maybe a little more than ten years ago, around ten years ago, the woman who was my wife's boss at the time said something like, "Madeline, have you ever seen those? Um, oh, what are they called? PT cruisers?" And uh, Matt says, uh, yeah, sure. She goes, I've always thought you would look good riding one of those. Do you ever think about buying one of those? <laughs> okay. Which, like, she meant it. And this is a lady who wear, lady in her, like, uh, mid-late 60s with lots of chunky jewelry who's been in the university system a long time. She's very nice, very competent. She had no... no so look, how many levels of repping is there here? Because I think what she was saying to my wife in some ways, she meant that as a compliment. She meant it as a compliment. And her lack of awareness about how somebody like my wife would look at the idea of being compared to a PT Cruiser driver. I mean, are you seeing, are you with me on this? Like all of the different levels? Because my wife is processing, like, <laughs> she didn't think about it for more than like 18 hours, but she did think about it. She was like, do I look like somebody who would drive a PT Cruiser? And I'm like, no, you don't. But like, why does that matter in my mind? I'm still hung up. Well, first of all, I don't know the stereotype of the PT Cruiser. All I know about the car is how terrible it is as a car. But I'm mostly hung up on the idea that she was recommending a car based on how you would look in it, as if it's an outfit. No, no, it was a totally brand alignment, like, and which is really That's crazy. Because like, this is at a be- time when, according to Upcoming.org, we were going out to indie rock shows three or four nights a week. She thought that 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 Madeline's like 
like fun, like, uh, you know, I, I went to Bard in Santa Cruz, kind of like kicky smart girl attitude would make a lot of sense uh, in a Chrysler. But like it's, it's like Imagine a story. That she didn't take it hard, but she was also like, "What is it about me that would make her say that?" That that was very strange. It's like a story I think I told in this very podcast about my sister debating what kind of car she wanted to get. And she was talking to me on the phone and thinking really hard about it, and she eventually said, "I think a blue one." Like she had been thinking and debating and mulling, and color. all she was thinking about is what color the car would be. Right like for, for a car person, it's like it, you know. So saying picking out a car. I think you would look good. Look good in a PT cruiser. It's like well, it's like you're, picking you're your house. Right, I think you would. I think yeah. you would look good in an apartment building. I think you would look good in an igloo. Well, even more like you should. You should get a house. You should get a house with an even number on the address. <laughs> right. It, yeah. Like that's not. You can't shop for where you're going to live based on what you would look good in. Like you right, have to pick. Right, like, right. do I want it to be on the North Pole? Do I want it to be in the woods? Do I want it to keep the rain out? Like. You know, <laughs> like I used to say that when um, back in my website days, I would and like you know I would have all these what I hoped were useful analogies, um, you know, not dick things, but you know, useful analogies that were often based on houses and building things. You know, like you and I when we talk about things like oh, you, software versus building a bridge, and I would say to people they would they would basically come in and like for the B and B site, the biographies and biographies and bullshit site, they would come with a with a pile of Microsoft Word documents and some paint chips and go like, here's the site we want. And I would and I would say to them something like, "Well, you know, basically, you're picking out doorknobs before you decided what state you want your house to be in. Like, there's so many more, like, there's so many concentric circles before we get to stuff like, like, which, which word document you send me. But that's how people think of it. It's a it's a completely different paradigm. Yeah, and, about and that's things. an example, like, by the way, with the car things. That's an example of where I have no problem repping because what I'm repping in the car thing is that I know stuff about cars and learning about cars is one of my hobbies. Like, I'm a car nerd, right? But Obviously, that's not how most of the world uh, relates to cars. They do pick them the same way you pick an outfit. They pick them by how they look and by what the world thinks about you and by how much they cost and like all those other things. Nobody is thinking about cars the way car nerds think about cars because most people right. aren't car nerds, right? And so by maybe not by my choice of cars, but by how I see other people's choices of cars, what I'm repping is, hey, I know stuff about cars, right? Useless technical stuff that is not important to most of the world. Um the same way with your wife thinking like she was taking the, that car choice as what it meant about how she was seen and well, all and, i could like, see by, by extension the idea that her boss and you know again she was she didn't mean it in an unkind <laughs> she didn't mean it in a mean way that she should get a p but but like but what it's, it's it's not even just like a what is it about me like the the small part of the pie is like what is it about me that makes this person think that i would drive a pt cruiser and look good in a pt cruiser but really much more saliently what is it about everything else i do that would have led them to that impression because i don't feel like that's what i'm repping well so you, you have to explain to me what the the associated baggage to pt cruiser is because again all i can think of about it is what a terrible car it is but i've never known anyone owned it what is the like uh, for example the vw bus and the hippies like i get that one right. pt cruiser i do not understand uh, what I, 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 I can is. give you my own little stack on this i feel like a pt cruiser is um I don't want to sound unkind. I think it's actually out of production, so we don't want to speak ill of the dead. But, you know, it's sort of like, do you remember when you were, um, I mean, there's a certain uh, genre of uh, bits, like the dog, invisible dog on a leash, right? That you get yeah. at the carnival, right? There's Spencer the. Spencer gifts? Yeah, sure. You can get the hat that makes it really look like you have a ponytail. Mm-hmm. You could get a hat that makes it look like you have an arrow through your head. You could get a hat that makes it look like you have moose horns. I think that's if those things were a car, that's what the PT Cruiser would be. And people people wanted it's to really, cultivate that. 
Well, I think it goes by and goes mac mac, and you think that's fun. But like, would you want to do that all the time? You know, like, is that is that is that what you want to be making payments on for a long time? Because it's a it's see, I don't know. I just it, it looked like it was in the demo. Like nobody under forty will buy this car. Full stop. It's a fun, kicky second car for somebody who needs a personality graft. Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess that's it's kind of like the dark version of the new beetle because the new beetle was like look it's got a flower vase and it's fun and you can drive it like if you were like a, if you were like a 26 year old uh woman with like like curly blonde, i don't know this is my fantasy maybe like a 26 year old <laughs> uh graduate student with blonde curly hair and you got a sunflower in there that's adorable what are you gonna pay for that six eight thousand bucks it's a it's a, right, it's a and, dream and, come and, true but that and that works like that it is does. A cute, that is a cute car for people who want cute cars but and it also PD says Cruiser, eh, it's just a bug it's just a bug yeah. But PT Cruiser, not a cute car. Uh, no, it's well, not. Like a cute I think car. The, the hat with the fake ponytail is a good analogy. That's that's what like that car was. It was a mess. But like even if you even if you car, knew, it was ugly. This is this is the this is the semiotics of this though. Is like the first time I ever saw my friend's dad, my friend's dad who was mostly bald, he put on a funny hat with a fake ponytail, and then he then he wore it for a little while. But there were many many levels of dad joke to what he was doing because like he knew that it was dumb. But he was still doing it, but it was still funny, but it was still not funny, but he was still doing it. And that's what makes you a dad, is like how long you will wear the hat. It's just, I don't want to drive this for five years and have payments. Yeah, dad joke. I should put that on that list as the topic, uh, as, as a future topic. Or maybe we could cover it today, because it's kind of part of the same no, thing. No, no, save but it. Save it. I enjoyed that. Oh, you know, whole, you, can, you can like move that direction, but oh, dad jokes are important. Yeah. Well, the whole dad thing. Dad jeans, dad jokes, dad humor. Well, the other day when we went out with our family to, uh, I think last time we had talked, had we gone to the amusement park yet last time we talked? Which amusement park? Oh, where we went on roller coasters and stuff. I think that was after we talked last time. I was in full dad gear. I had a dad hat. I had a Columbia hat with an SPF factor. I had an Eddie Bauer shirt with an SPF factor. I had Eddie Bauer shorts that had like cargo pockets. I had funny brown socks and I had wide, big, big toe box, keen, like walking shoes. And I was, I was like, I was, it was like I was going as a dad for Halloween. I was in full dad gear. And then like there's a moment where you're like, you know, do I really want to be in full? Like, should I put on a dead Kennedy shirt? Will that make this better? No, no, just embrace it. Just be the dad. That's it, but I just feel like that's what well, most of that is utilitarian. Maybe it's an expensive name brand. But most of it is generally utilitarian. Oh, no, no. That was have... all completely utilitarian. We, we got it mostly from outlet malls. Mostly outlet malls. Yeah, Eddie Bowers. I feel I have the same problem with clothes where I, I can't believe how much clothes cost. I can't, just cannot believe it. Like, it's probably. Yeah, but you should come out here. We'll go to the, uh, we'll go out to the, uh, we'll go to Folsom. We'll go to the outlet like, stores together. Like, I just, I just can't, I just can't bring myself to pay the amount of money that people pay for oh, things to cover themselves. I'm like, if, if my pants cost more than $20, I'm like, that's how much jeans cost? Are you I kidding? Know. I don't know how, I don't know how Levi's cost $50 now, but that's what they cost. Right. And that no, seems ludicrous. I don't understand. I mean, it's part of it is being old and you're like, when I was a kid, everything was a nickel, right? And, and then the other part of it is just like, my legs aren't worth $50 to cover with <laughs> stuff. Like, I just, could, is there anything cheaper that would also cover the same legs? I, like, I, can, I cannot amortize this. <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. That's on the internet. And you can enter the very special offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, at checkout. That is going to get you 10% off your first purchase. 
With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you, yes, you, capture every detail of what drives you. Put it on the internet. That's what I say. If it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. And Squarespace, they put all the power you need into those little hands of yours. They take away the pain points like worrying about hosting, scaling, what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level, no coding required. You don't need to be John Syracuse. You could be me. You could be just a regular dingus who just wants to put stuff on the web. Regular expressions? I don't think so. Get yourself a Squarespace. You'll easily be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site. That ensures security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world. Their site templates are stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design. That means your site is going to look great on every dingus and device of every size. I've checked. This works. It's amazing. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They have 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. You uh, get access to Squarespace's commerce platform that allows anyone to add a store to their Squarespace site. You can sell stuff on the internet. And they also have a wonderful cover page functionality. Helps you to build great-looking single-page websites. Rock solid. Fast hosting. So much more. And you know what? If you want to stretch Squarespace even further, you got to check out their dev platform. This lets you dig into the code and tinker with your Squarespace site. Now, here's the thing. Squarespace plans start at just $8 per month. $8 per month. That's madness. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name. So you can call your site whatever you want. Start your trial with no credit card required. Start building your website today. You go to squarespace.com. That is on the internet. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, do make sure to use the very special offer code DIFFS. D-I-F-F-S. That's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. And it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Obviously, we've talked about music in the past, but like it's hard to rep music without like without some other externality. Posters, t-shirts, and then you're just back to like clothing, decorations, stuff like that. I guess headphones, if people can hear it through your headphones, but it's really hard to rep the music itself. You always have to rep the merchandise. There's like a second order thing you need. Well, I mean, hmm. like part of it for me, the the reason I think the politics repping thing is so interesting is to go back to first principles, Clarice. It's like when you rep one thing and you rep it hard, you are often, but not always, tacitly not repping lots of other things. And I think in some ways that's the most interesting thing because like, this is just my own belief, but something I think it's important to understand about kids. I think there's lots of things I wish grown-ups understood better about kids. Kids will always want to be sneaky, so find a way to let them be sneaky in a way that won't kill them. Kids will always be confused. Give them an outlet for that. But like when your kid gets to be a certain age, they are going to become... I mean, thank God for punk rock, because it finally became a thing where we could... could like You could take a certain dumbness of teenage years and like and make it an art form which is I mainly know what I don't like. I mainly know what I hate. I mainly know what I refuse to ever become. And that's what I was from 14 to 22. Like I mostly define my world based on what I was absolutely never going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so like that starts out as I just don't know enough about the world to be able to say, but like the more you experience the world, the more you go, I am never going to be an investment banker. Like I am never going to be one of these dumb dads. I'm never going to be one of these people who like spends too long at the red light. You know what I mean? 
because it, it takes a long time to figure out who you really want to be. And it takes courage to rep more than just the negativity of what you aren't. But for a long time, it becomes interesting. Like It's very artful to figure out how to rep the things that you're not by your choices, too. And I think that's become very important in politics. How do people, how do people rep political stuff? Like well, how does that manifest? I mean, I can think of some ways in our neighborhood is like lawn signs. You don't have them so much because you don't have so many lawns. But does it like how how do you go about repping that? Is it just like by your tweets? Is it you put a little Obama for America badge on your website? Like I don't know how that. that well, that's the other thing is like I feel like it's even as recently as four as one presidential election cycle ago. Like we we there was uh, how can I put this? Like it was cool in certain circles to be into Obama. Like there are people on my street right now. And I live in the most conservative, pound for pound, the most conservative neighborhood in San Francisco, full stop, because um, it's mostly older Chinese people. But there are people in my neighborhood who still have Obama stickers on their car. Do you get that? Oh, yeah. No, half the cars in my neighborhood. And they're like the lawn signs. There are lawn signs in my neighborhood that have been here since I moved here like 15 years ago. You're kidding. The same signs. I remember a little of that with Clinton, with Clinton Gore, but like it was more like with with Obama Biden. Like that was whoa, that's oh no, not not, not candidate signs, but like uh, war, not the answer, that type of sign. Oh sure, sure, no sure. No pipeline, no blood for oil. Right, right, right. Like they're evergreen, <laughs> evergreen. No blood for oil is evergreen. Right. Okay, well this is this is a random example that explains it better. Like what you pack and don't pack in your kid's lunch. Like you are using your child as a conduit to let everyone know how you feel about the world. Like, does your kid really get a vote on what's in the lunchbox? Or is it more like, you know, you want stuff in there that if somebody else's cool mom or dad looked, they would go, ooh, wow, they really care about sourcing. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not in, inside my head enough about parenting to, to do that. I recognize it. I see other people, people doing are. it. But, Pe- people but I definitely, definitely are. That never occurs to me. I'm just trying to get my stupid You're, Are you not involved vote. in, like, the sugar discussions at, at like, events? Oh, no, I know all about it, but my main goal is get my children to eat things that resemble food. What will they actually eat? What will not right. come back uneaten? And what is actually food? Like, okay, and, and what's it? And what's it wrapped in? Oh, I don't care about <laughs> this stuff. All matters. Like at our school, you're not supposed to produce any trash at our school. So, like, here's the thing. Here's what I'm saying. If you send your kid to school with a branded, a beat up branded lunchbox for something that's not that cool anymore, like if you've got a Cars One lunchbox with like you know, let's say even a peanut butter, God forbid, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a juice box, and a bag of chips. The kind of thing I would have killed for in 1978. Like, uh, today, that kid might get, like, uh, Child Protective Services making a call. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Do you know how much, al- how many allergens and sugar and, like, non-compostable trash is in that thing? Have you just not been reading the emails at all? Your neighborhood is tougher than mine on that front. I, I know all those things, and we have them here, but really, there is a sameness to, like, the baseline is, is lower, I think, here, and, like, the sameness is, of like, because of the plastic BPA scare thing, all the kids have metal uh, containers for their liquids, like sure, water sure, bottles sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all have the same kind of weird cloth-covered lunchboxy things. Oh, those little sandwich bags with the Velcro. Sandwich bags, I think, are fraud. I think I'm doing the wrong thing by having a bunch of plastic sandwich bags, but I don't. I don't care. <laughs> but that's that's what we do. But I, I. But yeah, like that base. If you were to take the kids' lunches, that, and this is so weird. Like, I don't know if there's like a there's like a big meeting that I don't attend. But you just 
go and take a bunch of first every single first graders lunchbox from home and line them all up with each other you'll be like did these people get together and agree right. yeah what yeah. they're going to put in their kids lunches but in our neighborhood in our school this is what you do and you just sort of like it's like osmosis i mean i'm sure there are discussions about it and probably parents are talking about it more than i think but it's amazing how people converge on like this is acceptable and how in the same the same thing maybe if, if you took these kids lunch boxes and lined up next to kids lunch boxes at your school they would look at ours and say oh look at all these plastic wrappings and look at all these branded granola bars it's nuns and menses like you guys <laughs> you all end up kind of locking into the same pattern by like this just a slight amount of uh contact with each other yeah like that that all makes sense what was the last thing about uh confession but politics eh, you all time for politics but how you how you're repping politics like like how does how does how do you show the world anything about politics without like speaking specifically about candidates or issues depends on where you live right doesn't it i mean where you live may be part of repping that because you well, move to I the mean, neighborhood where all the liberals live and you're you're, you're repping that you're a liberal but like i'm thinking about in um hmm, in slaughterhouse 5 where billy pilgrim P- billy pilgrim's father-in-law you know, has a bumper sticker that says impeach Earl Warren. And, you know, you just think about, you remember, but like, for example, like out here, I don't know if you noticed that here, like so many people have, a, have for the past 10 years at least had a bumper sticker that says keep Tahoe blue. It's all about like, you know, <laughs> Lake Tahoe. No, no. I mean, like any, anybody out there, raise your hand, keep Tahoe blue. Like everybody's got this bumper sticker. I'm not sure what it's supposed to accomplish, except to say that you are, you are basically part of the Prius generation that vaguely hopes that everything's okay in Nevada. Excuse me, Nevada. What, what is the what is the keep Tahoe blue? What are they trying to like? Is it not going to be blue Lake, because of what pollution? Yes, precisely. Yeah, all right. yeah, yeah. But I mean, like every generation has those kinds of things. You got the baby on board. You got the dare stickers. You got all those kinds of things. <laughs> but like you know, but think about it, it's almost along the lines of Kramer not wanting to wear the ribbon. Like choosing not to wear the ribbon in the parade is a statement. Like you don't mean it to be a statement. You mean to just say like, hey, new dealer, don't don't deal me in on this. But you end up making a statement by what you don't align yourself with. Yeah, I guess bumper stickers is a thing that I see. Unfortunately, as a car guy who's repping car guy stuff, the idea of sticking a sticker on my car is totally just <laughs> like I could never do that ever. And so the statement that I'm saying is I am not a person who puts stickers on my cars. But yeah, within the I mean, we have the classics out here, too. We have I do still see, uh, you know, gore uh, bumper stickers and stuff. Still plenty of Obama ones. <laughs> Uh, lots of political stuff, surprisingly. And then you got to coexist with the with the oh, religious symbols. God, I hate That's, that one. I hate. Yeah, it. I don't see a it's, lot of visualized world. Well, no, it's anymore. visually the design is terrible. It's visually ugly. That, no, that's it's a mess. Um, <sighs> but that, that's one way to do it. And I guess you see them because you're stuck in traffic and you see the back of people's bumpers. And again, lawn signs. But outside of that, um, I'm not quite sure how you how you rep political. Maybe with like you're changing your. I don't know your Twitter well, avatar. Oh, <laughs> let's let's avoid that. But I, I remember at the time the Dare stuff was big. I was in college, and I have a fairly specific recollection of a car. You know, you see cars around town or in your neighborhood or whatever. And um, there was a particular car, and mm, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna shave off the extremities of this memory and give you the most basic version of this. There was a car that had at least three Dare bumper stickers on it. Okay. Now, what I got to tell you about this is that as I was, as I sat there behind the light and would see this car, uh, three bumper stickers, two of them were still very, very red. And one of them was fading just a little bit to a slight pinkish. 
And I remember sitting there and thinking, they not only have three identical bumper stickers on their car, but two of them were added after the first one was added. It was almost as though the first one... Do you follow me? Yeah, it's kind of like when you see people with uh, bumper stickers that say something nice about police officers or firemen, and you know there's a police officer or fireman in the family, or people or with uh, armed arm, arm forces, arm forces things, and you sure, know they have sure, someone sure. in the armed forces, like, or motorcycles are everywhere, you know that person owns a motorcycle or someone in their family owns a motorcycle, right? And so the dare thing is, you know, drugs have impacted my family in some way. Oh, sure. Yeah, there was another one I remember that was, oh, I should leave this one out, but it was, it was triply disturbing to me because... <laughs> <laughs> it was a small two-door car, and almost every available glass area of the vehicle was covered with uh, autism stickers. Yeah, you tend not to do that. You're allowed to meet the person who had that car and say, oh, so do you know someone with autism? I go, no. Yeah. Uh, I just, At first I was, I was really... terrified, and then I laughed, and then I, then I didn't laugh. And I said, you know what, that's not nice, because it could have very well been a kid that wouldn't have put all those on. You don't know. It's hard to tell. You don't know. Well, it could be because Papa died from drugs, and now we put another sticker on the car. That's right. Every time somebody dies, you never know. You never know, and you don't want to be horrible about it. Right. Or, yeah. But I'm just... Especially with with car stickers. Like, especially when you see a lot of them, and they're added over and over again. Hippie. There's no... There's never been one... There's never been one person with, like, a liberal bumper sticker. No person in America has one liberal bumper sticker on their car. I think on neighborhood we're going to have a couple of those, but I feel like the ones for, like, sports. Like, it's so Mm. clear that someone in the family plays lacrosse. I feel like You see all their lacrosse stickers from all the years, and they go off to college, and they got the college... Like, lacrosse is big in this family, and it's all over their car. But if I were doing, like, a a distribution graph on liberal stickers... Okay, let's be fair. Um, Like... If if somebody is a professed liberal putting stuff on their car, they might have one or two. I'm just saying you very quickly go. There's not that much. There's not that much room on the graph for people with two to nine stickers. Have you noticed this? You go pretty quick from people with two stickers to people with forty stickers. Yeah, where they treat it like they treat it like uh, Mike's iPad. It's like tattoos. You might have a couple of tattoos, oh, but once geez. you like go sleeve, then you're just going to cover your whole body eventually. Oh. Like it's just it's like once once you've sort of gone over that certain line, the barriers that were stopping you from doing what you really wanted are no longer there. And you're just like, oh, now now my whole body is a canvas. I know you have a thing. We got to come back to that. We got to come back to that. This will be our special episode that we don't release as tattoos. Okay, before we go, and we should go. Um, what is what is one thing that you are unironically proud or pleased or satisfied with how you rep right now? Is there anything? Well, like, of course, you're going to say nothing. But like of all the things you are aware of repping, what do you think you're repping accurately and well right now? Mm, see, my original angle on this repping stuff, the thing I come back to is I, I, I make this silly distinction between between things that I'm things that other people rep that don't make sense to me where I go now what you know you've done whatever this is what you're presenting to the world now what happens and the things that I would like to be proud that I'm repping all of which in my mind are not like that oh no this this has a purpose this is this is a functional thing it is not merely uh I'm not merely ornamentation or I'm not merely slotting myself into an imaginary hierarchy of things no no the things like, that like I'm repping yours yours are sensible <laughs> Right, exactly. Like that, you know, even if it's just something that's like having knowledge and experience or experience with something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, knowledge, that's not useless. That's not the same as 
looking like the true punk rocker that you always thought you were because looking like a punk rocker is pointless. You can't do anything, but, but also you're like your, your, your pride and your brags that could be like the, the connect could that even be something like the, the efficiency of your code or your uptime. Like there might be things. Well, I, that like, I was thinking of even less useful things like, like knowing a lot about Apple and Macintosh computers, mm-hmm. right? Because I one of the things I'm repping is that I'm a Macintosh user from the very first Mac and have been for my whole life. Right. Uh, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the things that I'm repping. And somehow in my mind, that is different because, oh, well, I know all these things about Macs. That's useful information that, you know, if anyone, if sure. I ever go back in time and need to fix someone's Mac in, in 1988, I'm your guy. I probably forgot it all. But, or, you know, or having historical context for understanding what Apple is doing or, you know, like somehow knowledge, uh, repping that you, that you have this knowledge. It can be similar for comic books. Some comic books maybe is less useful. Like, uh, deep knowledge of a particular subject makes more sense to me as a thing that I'm repping than looking like a punk rocker or looking like a hippie or looking like a grunge person or looking, I don't know all these things, but like, or like anything that is fashion shows, I am a cool person. I am the, exactly the type of cool person that I want to be. So now we're back I, to your, we're back those, to your uh, sh- uh, shape sorter problem. Like, like I just want to look like this thing that you would recognize, like, I, you, you, which you're not doing, right? Like, right. I want you to be able to, like, Malcolm Gladwell blink me and go, that is a pretty cool middle-aged punk rocker, that kind of thing. Right, and you can't really do it with knowledge, but somehow in my mind, knowledge is distinct from that. It gets even before that I'm repping that I'm, like, a programmer and have a useful skill and can do all these things or whatever, but, like, but yeah, one of the things I'm repping probably, I don't know how this manifests, but, like, you know, the, the Apple nerd, computer nerdy stuff, and, you know, in some degree, I'm repping the car and stuff, but less. Um, but, yeah, like, that's 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 a thing that's part of my identity. And how it manifests is a little bit weird. But in my but in my mind, it's so distinct from all the repping things that, that, are, that I can't relate to because they seem pointless to me. That's... And this seems so, so pivotal and so important. And like, and like, I really do draw that distinction. And I, and I draw the distinction understanding how absurd it is, like that they see that from the opposite side, it looks exactly the the other way around they're like but, who but, cares about like stupid listening, computer stuff listening to the last uh, atp uh at the end when y'all were talking about uh, top gear it's it's funny and this is this is a marco thing that marco will not cop to but marco has a has a funny thing about like marco's still a little bit punk rock in the sense that it, marco really wants to make sure you know what he's not into and so like but all three of you in your different way at that episode it was funny how you each telegraph because you all obviously love something about the idea of top gear I don't understand it. I don't pretend to understand it, but God love you. I'm glad you do. He's not even a real hamster. I'm glad you enjoy that. But the point is, with this new Top Gear, it sounds like there's plenty for anybody, you know, even including fans. There's plenty for anybody to not like about this, but it was fun to hear each one of you have a slightly different particular thing that you didn't like about it. And it you kind of keyed a little bit to like, you ended up each intentionally or unintentionally repping certain things about yourselves based on what it is you could or couldn't tolerate about the new Top Gear. I don't know if that's making sense, but I think you guys un- like intentionally or unintentionally end up saying a lot about who you are when you talk about what you don't like in that case. Yeah, that, that's definitely, I mean, and that's a good example in that show because there are so many, that show is not just one thing. That show is a mix of ingredients. I didn't get that until you, because I could care less, but hearing you talk, hearing you in particular say like, you know, like in your case, you're, you're there for the, you're, you know, you, you guys put up with the Shucky Jivey stuff to get to the reviews and stuff like that. But And other people put up with your reviews to get to the Shucky Jivey stuff. And like, it's, it's such a mix of ingredients that if the mix is off, the whole thing is just a mess. But there is like, that's what makes it 
a broadly like why is that show so popular? I mean, you know nothing about Cars, but you must know that that show is, is no. Pretty, I've seen the show several pretty, times. Pretty but, popular back in that. Like a lot right. of people watch it. Way more. It's not just car people, right? Way more people watch it. How do you get broad appeal in a show that also appeals to like to car nerds? It ha- there has to be enough to it that if you don't care about cars, you still find the show tolerable. Which apparently is a thing. Like people who have a mild interest in cars, still watch it, and they find it entertaining. I mean, maybe they're British people. They have different sensibilities. I don't understand. I don't look at the cars they buy, am I right? I don't understand how Chris Evans is popular. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a delicate balance, but yeah, it, when we look at that show, we're all watching it, I think, for, for pretty different reasons, and we have different tolerances for it. You can see Marco already bailed, and he's not going to waste his time on it. Casey's going to hang on forever, hoping it gets better, and then I'm not quite sure what I'll do, but I, I think maybe I'm kind of in the middle there. Right. Um, but yeah, like even just watching Top Gear and saying you know what that show is and that you that you care about anything about the show, that you care who the hosts are, that you care how the show is going, is sort of an unintentional repping of stuff where you're showing you care about it. To pivot this on, on music just a little bit, um, and this is one I've talked about in other places, maybe here, but like if you had uh, polled me, uh, <laughs> we all know how painful that can be, if you'd polled me in... Uh, 1990, I want to say eight about Weezer and the future of Weezer. Well, at that point, Weezer had put out two really, really, really good records. Um, you know, my feeling about the first Weezer record in particular was like, you know, unimpeachably strong. As I stand here today, I still really love Weezer. I defend Weezer through the fact that they have had a bunch of albums that were either, you know, not that great, not that consistent, not that whatever. But, uh, but what's funny is there's and this this I think this happens for Star Wars fans. I think this happens for Weezer fans. There's probably a lot of Star Wars fans that by 2007 were in the same place that I was with Weezer at about the same time, which is I've now seen so much of this stuff that I don't like that it's unintentionally making me go back and rethink how I feel about the first thing that made me love them. Like was that the fluke? Do you know what I mean? And like in, in that way, with each of you talking about even Top Gear, like you got a sense of like you guys having to like sort of confront this idea that like, what is it I do like about this? Like if I actually really break this down into parts and am rational about this, like what is that thing? In my case, I can say I still love the first two Weezer records. I like some of their stuff in between. But like you do eventually get to that point with something where, where you end up going like, do I have to rethink what made me like this in the first place because my taste has changed so much or their quality of what they're making? Has changed that's, so much. That's the difficulty in repping that too, is because like, oh, now, if I, now if I'm repping that, people are going to be like, "Oh, you like you like those terrible Weezer?" I was like, "Like you trying to rep early REM?" Like, "Oh, I'm not just an REM fan. It's early REM. You don't understand." Or like, me and Sloan were like, "My feeling, my my relationship to the like to like four years of Sloan records is like you know within a few years of them coming out, I was a massive massive mega fan. I don't dislike them now." But like I, I just don't have like a strong feeling about it, and so people say, "Oh, you know, you love Sloan. You're the world's biggest Sloan fan." I'm like, "Yeah, I kind of am. Like, I'm one of the big. I for a long, long time, I felt like one of the U.S.'s, like you know, largest non-Canadian Sloan fans. But, but again, like you know, over time, that all changes, and like you know, what does it mean? And it doesn't mean I've gone back and thrown it under the bus. But, but I don't feel the need to rep that. I don't feel the need to like put that on my sleeve. But. You know, I walked around um, Portland wearing a Fantastic Four shirt the other day and just thinking the whole time, first of all, almost nobody knows what this shirt means. If they did know, they wouldn't care. But if they did know, they would probably... Every, they, everybody in Portland knows what the Fantastic Four shirt you're wearing is. They probably sell a million of them, ironically. Last time I went through TSA, 
TSA doesn't know. Portland knows. I got some good TSA stories. I got some good TSA stories. Let's talk, second to the last time I went through TSA, the lady said, uh, oh, what do you think Think for? <laughs> that's not. That's pretty close, don't you think? That's close. Like, you got the thing. You, and so you know what I said? I said what I always say. I said, <laughs> yeah. Then the then the, uh, the la- latest time when I was going to Portland, uh, my I forgot that I had my, I was totally clean, 100%. Except I had my passport in my back pocket. Uh, Everything out of your pockets. How many times do we have to say it? Yeah. If you have anything in your pockets, take it out now. I'm not sure how I can say this more clearly. <sighs> Check for things inside your pockets. Take them out of your pockets. What about my passport? Everything out of your pockets, sir. Oh, it, oh, including like, okay, so like my keys. But, but not we, change though, right? No, change <laughs> wouldn't. Because change, you know, come on. Everybody's got change. Yeah, so um, I was like, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, he's like, oh, go, go back through. Go back through. Please wait. And they put up the hand. That's like a whole dramatic thing. And, you know, I don't care. I'm sanguine. And he goes, uh, all right, you're okay. You're very fortunate, though, because I was about to give you a groin search. I said, excuse me? He says, very fortunate. I was about to give you a groin search. And I said, why you, thank you? Please, why you, excuse me? Why are you challenging these people? Why does he feel the need to let me know that I got a break like what was what he's basically saying? To, I mean, like that's a little rapey. Like for him to say that to me was a little bit like, you know. Oh, no, uh, I understand how he was like. I mean, it, it could come off as threatening. It's a good thing you didn't like, walk any sexier. I know, or, or yeah, or, or he's just trying to like whatever. Like, uh, there's may, a million reasons why he might be doing it. Be be more careful next time because nine eleven. Is that what he's saying? No, like uh, there's two main reasons I can think of saying it. One that he's asserting dominance. Right, that's one reason. The other could yeah, be yeah. Well, well, I finished high school, so right. And the other reason could be it's a mind-numbing job, and he's trying to have some sort of camaraderie inside humor that has now gone wrong because you are not in the mindset to be accepting. Like, hey, buddy, am I right? Yeah, it's a tough situation we're both in here. Right, I'm gonna have to do a groin stretch. Am I right? Am I right? If I could do it over, I would have repped something different. <sighs> I, re- I would. I would say uh, he would say. Uh, Oh, you're really fortunate. Yeah, I was going to give you a grand. And then you would say nothing and continue on your way, which is the. I would give him this this look here. Mm-hmm. No, no look, no look. My mm-hmm. my thing at TSA is get in and get out mm-hmm. with as little interaction with everyone as possible, and then get on with my life. <laughs> Read the card. Read the card. Want to do whatever is required of me and get out of there, <sighs> ladies and gentlemen. Did you know the dandruff shampoo uh, has chemicals in it that seem like explosives? Head and shoulders. Um, last time I got swabbed for explosive powder on my hands. Oh, well, you know why? Because Neutrogena has um, coal tar. One, some shampoo that they were yelling at me about. I, I kept getting pulled out for the you, you have explosives on your hand thing back when they were still... I don't know it's my back pocket. That. They always think my back pocket is explosive, and I don't know why. Yeah, I'm saying, I think, I think one of the things is some kind of chemicals in shampoo set off their little thing. I bet it's coal tar, because coal tar, I, re- I learned this back at my uh, old environmental job, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. I bet you... There is coal tar in that, and uh, it's setting something off. Wasn't that the uh, the, the fortune telling mannequin in Big? <laughs> you win this one, Syracuse. 